You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout and he blasts one. Way back. Go. Cody Bellinger. It's one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, I could tell you, today is going to be a lot about one guy and about the season that he had and the potential of winning his very first American League MVP award. We're going to have his old head coach, David Esker, who is now the head coach at Stanford, used to coach Marcus at Cal. Ron Washington is going to stop by. We got David Force, the general manager, and then Eno Saris will help us break down his year. Eno with the athletic will get into the analytics. But most importantly, we do have him now on the phone with us. Marcus Simeon, the shortstop for your Oakland Athletics. Marcus, how are you? Hey, Tony. How you doing? I am, I am doing great. Um, as the last time we talked here at the offices here for the Oakland Athletics, we talked about you being in the top three. What did that mean to you when that came down and you heard you were going to be in the top three? Uh, it's, it's very cool. I mean, I tuned into the – the show, the selection show they had, and you know, I didn't, I didn't know the voting until I saw it. So sometimes you kind of hear through the grapevine what it's going to be, but it was all a surprise right there, and I knew it was a possibility. But it's great to be top three. No doubt about it, and I know the two guys that you're up there with, who you get to play a lot. I mean, it's a a three horse race here in the American League West, and, and the respect that you have for both Trout and Bregman. Yeah, I mean those those guys really had great years. I think that what they do best is they don't give away at bats. Um, they, you know, a lot of times you look at Trout and just the the pitches he gets to hit, and he, he takes full advantage of them. And if he doesn't get anything to hit, he he's getting on base with a walk. So uh, he he controls the strike zone. He's a tough out. Uh, you look at Bregman, kind of the same thing, and he's a guy who, you know, he knows exactly what he's doing in the box every time. He knows the ballpark he's hitting in. He's tailored his swing to that, but he can also beat you the other way. So he's just extremely dangerous hitter. You know, when I, I think about your game, and the one thing that you do that a lot of people don't do anymore, and we were actually joking as we were getting ready for this show, that we already have NBA players sitting out of games because of load management. You're a guy that takes it to the post year in and year out, you want to play 162 games. What does that mean to you that you've been able to train your body as an athlete that you can play in every single game during the Major League Baseball season? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I trained to do. Uh, that's the way I came up. It's the mindset I I learned at a young young age when I first got drafted. Um, and it wasn't necessarily somebody telling me that, hey, you need to play every game no matter what. It was kind of a thing that I saw, guys that I played behind, um, guys who, you know, Buddy Bell, my farm director, you look at his baseball reference page and you'll see 162 uh, multiple times. Uh, it's just kind of the culture. Uh, Robin Ventura, same thing. So I learned that, and I thought, hey, I mean, if you can do it, you get a whole lot of chances to produce. And if you look at the uh, the plate appearances, I think I had like 747. So you, you get a lot more chances to produce and uh, learn and just use it. So I think about you. You're in your prime and I think about this season, and I look at your offensive numbers, and and, and it just it just lights up the scoreboard. Everything that you did this year, power wise, extra base hits, scoring runs, you did everything. How much of this is not only you being in your prime, but you were one hundred percent healthy? Yeah, I mean, I felt great. You know, coming out of the twenty seventeen season, you know, I I had a wrist surgery that year, and I. You know, it wasn't quite all the way back. It was definitely, you know, getting there. But I, I was ready to compete at the major league level, but it wasn't all the way there. And last off season, really got my strength back and was able to do what I wanted to do in the weight room with my upper body. And and I showed up to, to camp, you know, with the just a, another year under my belt. And I think one year of everyday major league baseball is – so much more valuable than any talent you could ever have because you start to you learn how to compete and uh, you use the ability that you're blessed with and that you the things that you learn along the way but that one year of experience you learn some you know some very valuable things so that's what I tried to do. Ron Washington is going to join us here at 2 o'clock to talk about you. And we recently had Eric Chavez on, and he talked about you. And we know how much Wash has meant to so many different people in this organization. David Force calls him the best coach he's ever seen here with the, with the A's. Take us through what that was like when Ron Washington comes in and he's coming in to help you and make you a better shortstop. And you guys went to the early fundamentals to, to where you are now. What was it like your experience with Wash? Yeah, Wash is a very special man and big part of my success, um, not only from you know, a defensive standpoint, but a, a mental standpoint to where he – you know, he puts in the most work I've ever seen. He he loves the game. Uh, how could you not want to play hard for this man? Um, you know, he, he shows up every day for you with, you know, very valuable knowledge, but, but a, you know, a great feel for um, the big league, you know, infield game. Um, you know, he, he hit me so many different balls and taught me so many different things about how to play the, the position. To where once he left, I feel like you know, the work that we put in, I could carry on to whoever was, you know, my next coach. So I, I really thank him for that. Well, and I think about how everybody feels about you. And we recently talked to to Matt Olson, and David Force once again will join us later on. But we taped that earlier, 
And the one thing they all say about you is that you lead by example. You lead by not only playing every single day, you lead by working as hard or harder than anybody, and you do it every single day. So it's like one of those things like, you know, why are you going to slack when Marcus Simeon is out there working hard? Do you understand that what a role you have with this ball come from the standpoint that you lead by example and all these guys just follow? Definitely. Um, I think that you know, with me being here for five years now, um, you know, it's hard for sometimes it's hard to come into a, a new clubhouse and learn the ins and outs of the culture of, of a team. And for me, I've been here for five years. I've seen ups and downs um, in these five years, but one thing that's been consistent is uh, me wanting to show up and get better. I think it, it comes from my love of the game. It's something that I've always loved, and I've always been hungry for you know, knowledge. And the only way to, to get better is to show up. And when you do show up, use the, the work ethic that you may have already had or that you have learned from others and you know guys guys ask me a lot of questions hey what do you what is your routine like here in Oakland how do you use you know the facilities we have the resources we have and that's where leading by example comes in because you use everything you have every day in Oakland no doubt about it and you maximize that And, and and one of the coolest things too is not everybody loves playing at home some people view it as a distraction. I've had guys tell me, you know, I don't want to play at home because everybody's asking for tickets and everybody's asking for stuff. I just like showing up every once in a while for a three-game series, parents, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, whoever, and, and then I'm out of town in three days. You've embraced coming back home. Tell us what it's meant for you to do all this in front of family and with your wife here and your kids, what this has meant to you. Yeah, it's very, it's great, I think, just to, you know, we live here in the Bay Area. Uh, so the only time we leave home is for, for spring training. Besides that, I'm here in Oakland uh, in, in the East Bay, and um, I like I love the convenience of that. You know, you get to, you don't have to travel so much. We have two young kids, so it's hard, it would be hard to, you know, pick up and go all the time and, um, we, we definitely love that, and I love that I get to play in front of my, my parents and my grand, grandfather and uh, people who get to, you know, they've always been a huge part of my life, but they get to see me play and see what I do every day. So uh, it's been great. It's crazy that it's already been five years, but each year I've I've learned to love it more and more. I never had a problem with, you know, leaving my family a ticket to, to see me play it's been great how much did your phone blow up when this announcement came out uh it wasn't not too bad i mean a lot of people that you know i hadn't heard from in a while that just you know former coaches or you know whether it's you know from el cerrito back in the day or travel ball or college it's, it's just great to hear from everybody and you know i think that most importantly just Talking to my parents after it went down and, and sharing the moment with with my wife and kids and watching it, watching the program from our home, and it, it's just a cool moment to share.
And let's end on this. This was a, a, an unbelievable year. How just excited are you? 97 wins in back-to-back years. People learn from their failures. You can learn from these wild card games. And now with this core and the guys around you going to be one year better, how excited are you for 2020? Yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I think that there are a lot of games we wish we could have had back last year and games that were right in the grasp of our hand and we you know, we let them go and you look at the win total we had, 97 games with all those games I just mentioned, uh, we could have took that division. So you learn from it and you, you figure out, okay, why did these things happen? And some of it is just baseball that's that's the way it goes but a lot of things are things we can control and that's where I said that one year of major league experience especially in a playoff race will help it'll help all of us with our mindset and you know we get in certain situations up at the plate and you know maybe we change something or maybe we, we do something different so all these things will come together next year and hopefully we have a higher win total than 97 and fight for that division. Marcus, hopefully the next time I'm talking to you, you you will have won the American League MVP. But if not, still, congratulations. It's been an unbelievable season for you and your teammates. And hopefully we'll talk soon and be well. Okay. Thanks for having me. Marcus Simeon. You know, the thing about Marcus, he's good people. You know, his dad will call into the postgame show. His dad played at Cal. But you just know he was raised right. He really is. So so that's why it's really easy to root for him. Because he is such a good guy. Genuine good guy. He's a great teammate. He's a great husband. He's a great father. Great son. And you root for people like this. And think about that. The, the three candidates are all in our division. And no one's going anywhere. Trout's not going anywhere. Bregman's not going anywhere. Marcus is not going anywhere. I mean, you really could sit there and you could look at. Now, Matt Olson, I do believe, will win an MVP at some point. Matt Chapman will have potentially an opportunity. Look what we're saying, the kind of talent that's here right now with the Oakland A's. It's legit. You don't win 97 games back-to-back years, and I think a lot of people around baseball, they get it now. It takes them time to get it. It really does. And it's not necessarily their fault. Got to remember, our game started 7.07. That's 10.07. I remember when people were complaining about the East Coast bias with the Golden State Warriors. Well, Golden State Warriors home games... If you remember games at Oracle, I don't know. It's got to be the same thing at Chase. Those ga- the ticket said 7.30. Those games really didn't start. They didn't start at 7.30. They didn't even start announcing the play. The, the game started like around 7.42, 7.44. at night on the East Coast. You think people are staying up that late to watch bet? No. I mean, that's just that. That's that's the problem with West Coast teams. East Coast people aren't seeing our game. They're asleep. It's understandable. You want to think they they can get up the next day and look at the numbers, but 
you understand more what you see with the numbers than just the numbers. This this year was phenomenal. Coming up next, we will talk about this year, and we'll talk about something I saw yesterday on MLB Network that I went, ooh, kind of made me cringe. Kind of made me cringe. We'll talk about next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. Don't forget, coming up here in about 11 minutes, David Esker, the head coach of Stanford, used to coach Marcus in college. We're talking a lot of Marcus Simeon today, let's be honest. Is that we were off yesterday, so we didn't get to cover it. We're back today. So I'm watching MLB Now on MLB Network. And they're bringing up the three candidates. And our friend of the program, Brian Kenny, you know, he's always got to, you know, he's always got to play a certain role on the show. And talking about the three candidates, and it was like, okay, you know, eh, there could have been three guys that you could have really chose for that third spot because obviously Bregman and Trout were, were no doubters. To where I'm sitting there listening to going, really? And this was like, well, what did you guys, you know, they have a panel. And they, what did you think of Marcus Simeon? And, you know, Mike Petrarello another friend of the program, was like, well, I'm not so sure. And he started giving a couple other guys. And it's like it's the East Coast bias that that they just don't see it. They don't see it on an everyday basis. They John Hart, the former GM, who is a great baseball mind, he looked at him and he went, I'm telling you, Simeon plays every day. He's got my he, – he should be in the top three. I said this all along during late in the season. It will be criminal if he is not in the top three. Criminal. And I guess Yankee fans are like, DJ LeMahieu. You cannot statistically go and look and tell me that DJ LeMahieu had a better year than Marcus Simeon. You can't do it. He played the toughest position on the infield, every single game at a high level. And I don't care if he's got Matt Chapman there playing third. Matt Chapman didn't play every game. Most players don't play every game. Why? Because it's too tough. It's brutal on your body. That's why I always laugh about people like, ah, baseball, because I always laugh at NBA people. NBA people, to me, are absolutely ridiculous. They are so soft, and their limits, and they can only play so many games and so many minutes, and they go, well, well, they're running. You're jogging half the time up the floor. And the majority of the players don't play big minutes. Only a few guys play big minutes. You try standing on your feet in cleats on the dirt playing 162 games night after night after night. That's what Marcus does. Dive after dive after dive, running, plate appearance, stealing bases, doubles. Look how many doubles he had. Extra base hits. It's not easy, and he did it day in and day out. That should play a significant role. Trout didn't play a full season. 
Trout's great. He's the best player in the game. There's no question. But he didn't play a full season. Bregman's a terrific player. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, it really, it's a good class. It's an exceptional class, I should say. But that was the whole thing. And, and you know what plays well for Marcus when people want to crap on war? Look at Marcus's war. Because you just start, you start adding up all the different numbers. That's the thing. That, no, matter, no matter what metric you like, it's math. The better you are, the better your numbers, the better they add up. Whether you're going to take this, times that, divided by this, plus that, throwing ballpark, whatever it is, whatever your metric of, of, of choice is, great players have good numbers, traditional numbers, analytics. Why? Because it's math. And that's what Marcus did this year. I don't know if he'll uh, ever be able to repeat this year. I mean, th- this year for Marcus Simeon, was so off the charts. When you start passing all these different A's greats, like Ricky Henderson, Reggie Jackson, it just shows how dominant he really was. And to do it all from the leadoff position where no one thought he was going to be for the entire year. No one thought that. Yeah, he could lead off against left-handers. Not do it every day. Marcus Simeon led baseball with 162 games. He led baseball with 747 plate appearances. From the leadoff position, he hit 90. He hit. He had 92 RBIs, 33 home runs. From the leadoff position, his OPS was 892. He did everything, 43 doubles, 7 triples, 10 stolen bases, 187 hits. He scored 123 runs. Before the show, I said to my producer, Commander Cody, I said, what's the number one number in baseball? What's the most important thing in baseball? And what was your answer, your first answer? Didn't I say RBIs? No, I think you said war. War, yeah, war. War was number one. I said no. Then what's what's the next one? What? Uh, what did I say? I don't remember. But what? we know it wasn't batting average, so that wasn't it. No, but uh, it was. Uh, what's the number one? What's the number one thing in baseball? Uh, woba. Yes, you did say woba. I think <laughs> no. <laughs> It's scoring runs. The only way you can beat a team is you got to score more runs than they do. I mean, how simplistic is that? You can go all day long with anything. If you don't score more runs than the other team, you don't win. Scoring and preventing are the two most important things in the sport. Now, you can throw a bunch of different stuff about how to do it. I mean, everybody does things different ways. You can't just say there's one way to do it. Got to hit a ton of home runs. Well, Kansas City Royals went to two straight World Series and could have won two, won one. They didn't hit a ton of home runs. 
Oh, you got to have the deepest bullpen. Well, the Nationals just won the World Series. They don't have the deepest bullpen. Ah, you got to be able to, your starters got to go deep. Well, there's teams that have won in the postseason using a lot of relievers. There's no one way to do it. Even though we're in a copycat league, and every league's a copycat league, there's different ways to win a championship. But once again, it doesn't matter what sport it is. In football, when the clock hits zero, whoever has the mo- whoever has more points, they win the game. Marcus Simeon scored 123 runs this year. I mean, he's breaking Oakland A's records like it's going out of style. And he's doing it right at that age when you go, yep, he's in his prime. He's 28 years old. He's a gem. He's, I expect the next couple of years for Marcus Simeon to be really special. And hopefully they're working on some type of contract extension. You're going to need to extend Marcus. You're going to need to extend Chapman. You're going to need to extend Olsen. That's how, you, that's how you keep your window of opportunity open to win a championship. Coming up next, we're down on the farm. We're going to talk to a man that runs the Stanford baseball program and used to coach Marcus at Cal. David Esker is going to join us right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, we're heading down to the farm to talk a little bit about Marcus Simeon. David Esker is now the head coach. Mark Mark was the head coach there forever. When I played against him, that was a long time ago. He was there for 41 years. Mark has had, I mean, he had such an incredible, I mean, an incredible run. And we we got a chance earlier today to talk to one of Stanford's great. So earlier today on A's Roundtable, we talked to Ed Sprague. Ed Sprague was a part of the two teams that won back-to-back national championships for the Cardinal in the late 80s. Ed Sprague is the only guy to win the College World Series, the World Series. Remember, he won two. So he won two College World Series with Stanford. He won two World Series with the Blue Jays. And then he got an Olympic gold medal. He's the only guy to win the College World Series, the World Series, and get a gold medal. And it's great that uh, Ed Sprague is still with the Oakland Athletics Director of Player Development. And we do have David. David, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Towns, and we appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. Well, I got to think about a couple of your guys that you coached while you were at Cal and that are doing such great things for the Oakland Athletics. And the first one, we're obviously going to talk about somebody I know you're very proud of, and he's such good people, and we just had him on the program. We love him to death, and that's Marcus Simeon. And the fact that Marcus is in the conversation with Mike Trout and Bregman for the MVP, boy, that sure means a lot. Oh man, so proud of him. Just just a first class individual and 
obviously you guys know he's just an incredibly hard worker and it just keeps getting better and better and to the point where he's an MVP finalist. And that's, that's, you know, very, very much. It's just pride inspiring for myself and I'm sure the whole Cal baseball family. Yeah. What did you see in him when he was at Cal that you thought, you know what, if things go right for him, I could see him being a big leaguer. Well, he just obviously physical ability, and and we always knew as good as he played for us that there was just there was more in the tank. There was just more room to keep getting better and better. Uh, you know, when he'd hit some home runs and he'd touch a few off, you know, like hey, there's just more in there when he gets you know in a professional setting and plays more baseball. And he was just always improving. You know, even his shortstop play uh, improved from one year to the next. And you know, then when he got a chance, obviously to work under. Ron Washington. I mean, he just has aptitude to learn and just and just get better. So when he gets somebody like Ron Washington to work with, it's not surprising that he can pick up the finer points of defense and and apply it and be become a great defender. That is the number one thing for me. Was you know the media we get there pretty early, and we would watch Wash just break down Marcus to the most simplest drills. He had all these different training gloves that Marcus was using, and it was stuff that I think guys with big egos would have been, I don't want people watching me do this. And Marcus never said a thing. Marcus was open about it. He would talk to us about it. I think one of the reasons that he has gotten to be the player he is is that he doesn't have that ego, and he wasn't afraid to learn and have someone teach him because normally you're not teaching this stuff at the big league level. No, you're not. And I tell you what, the, you know, two, two words I always use to describe Marcus, he's humble and he's hungry, right? And so you put those two things together, then you're going to have a, a willingness to learn and, and your ego will not get in the way uh, with you picking up things and being taught and, you know, taking suggestions and then just working, working really hard at it. I mean, he's just, he's got a great temperament to be a professional athlete. He doesn't get too high. He doesn't get too low. He's just poised and, and, and just an extremely hard worker. Yeah, and I I think about sky's the limit for him because where he is at 28, right? He's healthy, and this is your prime. Yeah, this is this is this is his golden years right here, and he's really just you know putting up numbers and God, he just provides just that 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 solid middle of the diamond play, both offensively and defensively. You know that you can you can start putting pieces around him, and the A's have the A's have had great success and. I mean, it's just it's just awesome to watch both he and Mark Canna be a piece of it. You know, when you have a player that learn that that leads by example, when you have someone like a Marcus Simeon who plays every single day, he's out there every day grinding his ground balls. He's grinding in BP. As a coach, when you have a player like that, how does that help you inside your clubhouse, knowing that everybody's going, well, if Marcus Simeon's working that hard, i got to be working that hard. Yeah, no, nobody has an excuse to not work hard. And so when you're, when you're pushing the rest of your club, the example you're using is, hey, one of our best players and a player that's a, you know, a big part of our club um, works just as hard at his game to get to where he wants to. You've got no excuse to – to slack off or not put in the time and the effort, you know, you're not, you can't be above that work because, you know, a player like of Marcus Simeon's caliber is working at his game and taking it, you know, like a professional. Yeah. And I think another guy that you had, and I'll never forget Mark Canna comes to the A's rule five and we're asking like, okay, where's this guy going to play? Like here, he's got a decent bat. 
You know, is he going to be a DH? Is he going to be a first baseman? We're here. He can't play third. At some point, they're going to try him and left. And then a few years later, he's now becoming like an everyday center fielder. Did you ever think you could see Mark Canna play a quality center field at the big league level on an everyday basis? Well, I knew he could play at that level. Maybe center field, I, I would not have put him there. You know, he played he played right field and left field for me and played some first base and was a first baseman uh, his last year that he uh, was with us at Cal. But, you know, I have uh, I had an award that I named after Mark Canna after his years at Cal, and I it was it was named for the the player that was a, a culture changer and a program changer because that fearlessness that he plays with and the attitude that he plays that he doesn't he doesn't care what the opponent thinks about him trying to play hard and playing to win, you know you see it he's bat flipping he don't care what people think about that he knows that that's for him and his team. And that's the that's just the fearlessness and the kind of the culture change guy that he was for us. And I end up I end up having a, a Mark Canna award that I didn't give out every year. But when that player every now and then that came into your program that you knew was a, a big impact and and someone who changed your program forever, he was the recipient of the Mark Canna award. Well, we gave him a nickname, and he likes it, and Bob Melvin likes it. Because he plays everywhere on the diamond, and whenever someone got hurt, Bob Melvin would put him there, and he'd take care of it. So I gave him the nickname Duct Tape, and he absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think he would embrace that, right? Uh, and, hey, I just love seeing him just just develop and flourish there with the A's. And, you know, he's obviously a big social media presence. He loves he loves the Sharks, and he's a foodie, and he's got to bring some personality to the field. But 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 he also brings some attitude with him uh, and, and a and a and a fearlessness that hey this is who I am and I don't care what you think about it we're just coming out to beat you and that and, and you need that especially at the major league level that competitiveness you know you mentioned social media and I, I want to get your take on it because uh, I can't imagine my head coach because you know him I played at San Jose State I played for Coach Peraro and thank God we didn't have social media because we, we probably all would have been thrown off the team for all the stuff that we were doing uh, around downtown San Jose. What is that like now for you as a head coach? You had to deal with a Cal. You got to do it here at Stanford. And this new generation with players and social media and cell phones. Yeah, you got to pay attention to it, right? You, you, you don't need anybody representing your program and your school in a negative light. So, you know, you, you do have to pay attention to make sure that they're respectful and, and they are representing. Because nowadays, that's just not representing themselves, but it's representing your school, your team, and, and you in, in particular. So you, you, you do have to have a little bit of an Internet code of conduct nowadays, which, you know, we would never have thought of in the past. But that's just kind of the responsibility that student athletes have to take, um, you know, with their social media presence and what they do out, out in public. And then we talk about Dalton Jeffries. Tell us we're getting with him. Oh, hey, Dalton Jeffries is special, right? He is special. He's, he's a shortstop who pitches. I mean, he's an athlete. He's a baseball player. Uh, but he's just a precision pitcher who's got, some, who's got plus stuff. And, uh, hey, I'm so excited to see him move, move through the, the A's organization, too, because he's going to get there. And uh, it's going to be exciting when he does. Okay, so explain this to me, because I know how much – Stanford, you know, playing against both Cal and Stanford and and going to the big game and knowing how much they they don't like each other. The fact that you played at Stanford, you were on, I was talking about Ed Sprague. We had him on earlier today. He was a teammate of yours in 87. Okay, so you played shortstop at Stanford. You coached at Stanford. 
Then you coach a Cal, your head coach a Cal, and then now you're back at Stanford. How does how does somebody make that work in that rivalry? Yeah, you know what? Well, first of all, I'm blessed to have both those opportunities. You know, I was at Cal for 18 years and enjoyed my time, and I've got a lot of I've got a lot of Cal family still there, and 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 some of the greatest years of my life were spent there for that university. And there's such a mutual respect, and you find out when. When people graduate from Stanford or Cal, they often work together, right? And there's that mutual respect that, hey, you know, there's two high-achieving places that are shooting for the stars, and, you know, we battle pretty hard on the field. And, and obviously there's, there's that competitiveness of the Cal-Stanford rivalry, which has always been there. Um, I knew when my years at Cal, those are the colors I was wearing. So I, I, I learned at Stanford, you compete hard uh, for your team, and, and sometimes you compete as hard against your brother as you do anybody else. Well, that's how it felt like when I would – play against Stanford during my years at Cal, but uh, had great years and, and got uh, how I got there. You know, I guess there were a few coaches like John Ralston, which I'd always point to and, yeah. and uh, you know, guys who, were, who had done both. And, you know, quite frankly, we've got a couple really successful coaches here at Stanford who started at Cal, you know, Greg Meehan, our, our women's swimming coaches, won national championships. Um, our women's golf coach here, Ann Walker was a, a Cal, a Cal golfer and, a, and an assistant coach at Cal. So, I mean, there's some fluidity between both places because both places are, are shooting for the stars. And obviously, Sharman Smith, who's the women's bas- head of women's basketball coach at Cal, was a, a Stanford basketball player as well. So it happens more than just myself. And, and you see both people just competing like crazy to win national championships at either place. It, it, I mean, for us, it's crazy with the A's because you got Simeon, you got Canna, you got Bob Melvin, Cal, and then you got Stephen Piscotty, Stanford. You got Susan Slusser, one of the great beat writers of all time, who's covered the A's Mike for years. Aldretti. Mike Aldretti. I mean, it's like it's it's Mike you look Aldretti. you look around, and as a San Jose State guy, I'm completely outnumbered by everybody. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that. I got to I got to go out in the field one time this summer and. And it was great to see, you know, Bob Melvin out there. And obviously, Mike Aldretti caught the first pitch that I was able to throw. And, hey, you mentioned Ed Sprague was in the front office. And, hey, you mentioned all the titles and, and the gold medal. And, hey, if, if, if any of you have played with Ed Sprague or lived on a baseball field, he's not the luckiest guy in the world. Uh, it, is, it is not no accident that he's involved in all that winning. And, and I'm sure the A's are excited to have him because winning falls Ed Sprague. And, and, and you know, he's just, he's just a born winner. Yeah, he said, like, for a five-year stretch, there was, like, no way he could lose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he, he had that, that horseshoe following him around. and, and uh, But like I said, it's, it, it isn't by accident. He is, he is a hard driver and, a, and, and a, a fierce, one of the fiercest competitors I ever played with. And, and hey, he would have won the Marcana Award at Stanford as far as changing culture and, and impacting, a, impacting a program. He was that type of player. Coach, thank you so much for the time. I truly appreciate it. I know it's the fall, so you got a long way to go. Good luck in the 2020 season, and the Pac-12 will be watching you, and thank you for the time. I appreciate it. We're keeping our fingers crossed for Marcus in that MVP vote. Thank you, David. All right. Coach Esker, down on the farm. Stanford. I mean, they won the Sears Trophy all those years for a reason just dominant in Olympic sports, but they've been dominant recently in football from Harbaugh to coach Shaw playing in BCS games. They've been off a little bit the past couple of years, but Stanford football 
I mean, Walt Harris, Buddy Tevens, they drove that program into the ground. They complained, you can't win here. You can't get kids in here. Oh, yeah? Here comes Jim Harbaugh, and you're winning the Orange Bowl. And then they're winning the Fiesta Bowl. Now, Stanford, Stanford is legit. There is no question. Our friend Martin Gallegos has put out a very interesting article. You know, that's one question that I have, and we're going to talk about it all offseason. What needs to happen for the A's this offseason? And don't give me bullpen because it's too easy. My man Martin Gallegos put out a report today on MLB.com. I'll tell you the one spot he threw out that's glaring next right here on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Now back to the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, I love when people talk about pressure. Ken Rosenthal, MLB Network. He's also on The Athletic. Teams facing pressure to win. Blue Jays, Rangers, White Sox, and really the only two that are really Angels, Padres. All teams that didn't make the playoffs last year. There's big pressure to win. There is big pressure, though, in certain spots. Texas, you're opening up a new ballpark. The White Sox, who have been sitting around talking about how we're going to spend big money, we're going out Machado, we're going to do that. Well, at some point, you got you got to start winning. I I agree with them totally on the Padres, though. They haven't won in a long time, and they've given they've given AJ Preller plenty of opportunity. There's always going to be pressure to win in Los Angeles with the Angels because they spend money and Artie Moreno wants to win, but they just hired Joe Madden. But that's something that people are talking about. Maybe this winter meetings, it's going to be really good from the standpoint of there's teams with pressure to win. Like these teams that some that Ken has talked about, there's pressure to win. Hey, there's pressure to win here in Oakland. You think anybody was satisfied with 97 wins and losing again in the wild card? That's not how it was drawn up. That's not how people believed it was going to go. Expectations are going to be to win. And that's going to be all over the joint. How about the Yankees? I mean, I don't think Brian Cashman's job's in trouble, but I'll tell you this. The fact that the Yankees had the year that they had 103 wins and then they crapped out because why? Because they crapped out because of their starting pitching. Well, as we've talked about before, when Sweeney Murdy, WFAN, was at a press conference with Brian Cashman, was questioning on it, he was like, well, you guys didn't go for any pitching. Well, what do you mean we didn't go for pitching, Brian Cashman said. Well, I mean, why didn't you get Verlander? Oh, we were outbid. Why didn't you get Cole? We were outbid. Wait a minute, you're the Yankees. You don't get outbid. What about Corbin? We were outbid. There's pressure there. and that And you know what? That should be good. That should be good for the offseason. 
because we're doing a show during the offseason. So the last thing I want to be doing is doing like we saw last year, where everybody, where do you think Harper's going? Where do you think Machado's going? And that went all the way to spring training. Do not want to see that. One idea, though, I knew it wouldn't work. I'll ask David Forst about it later on on the David Forst show. But I kind of like what Scott Boris's idea is. So we kicked this around about how Major League Baseball wants to do something similar to like the NFL and the NBA, where you got a timeline on things. Because timelines make you make moves. Because you can't just say, well, we're going to wait it out. Like the Phillies, they waited it out. The Padres, they waited it out with Harper and and uh, and uh, Machado. Baseball, man, if you're now at a point to where you're waiting it all the way out till after the June draft to get Keuchel and Kimbrell, I mean, come on. So baseball, and once again, friend of the program, the commissioner, Rob Manfred, who I like, because he's trying to make a bunch of different moves. And I and I got to tell you, I really, really like it. I like that he's starting. We're going to get into something a little bit later that we really like, that I know a lot of you don't, but you will. Trust me, you're going to love it. But Scott Boris said this about a deadline. like, like let's say, So they took this deadline to the players' union, which really means to the agents, and they said, no go. They wanted to have like a deadline during the winter meetings for free agency. And, and the players' union, the agents went, no, 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 we're not doing that. But I do like Boris's idea. Because I can tell you, certain clubs, like the A's, over the years, they need time. They want time. And back in the day, the big, big prizes would go at the winter meetings. Albert Pujols, Manny Ramirez, those type of contracts, Alex Rodriguez. Those would go at the winter meetings, and that was fine. That's where the big boys got to play, write those big checks, have those press conferences, all the media's there, it's the big show toy, and then you start selling season tickets. Yeah, that's right. You sign... Albert Pujols, the phone starts ringing. You sign Manny Ramirez, the phone's ringing. You're selling more season tickets. You got sponsors that want to come in. It just it gets your organization juiced, even though it doesn't necessarily always mean something as the Angels haven't won anything. But when you do that winter meeting, because after the winter meetings, it's Christmas, then it's Happy New Year, then football takes us through January, college and pro we have all the bowl games we have the national championship you got wild card weekend then divisional and that takes you all the way to the super bowl and once the super bowl's over if you're not in a market where your basketball team is really good or your hockey team is really good for baseball teams that's like hey february spring training pitchers and catchers are reporting that's when people from the midwest Upper Midwest, East Coast, they're making their flights to Arizona, Florida. The Snowbirds want to get out of Dodge. Snowbirds have been 
They've been dealing with the bad weather for months, and they're over it. Let's go watch some baseball and drink some beers in Arizona. Or let, I mean, like, I can tell you, Chicago, you go, and their ballpark in Mesa is gorgeous. You go there, everybody is white as a piece of paper. They haven't seen sun in months, and they don't care. They're just happy to be out of Illinois and in some sun and having a cold one and having a Chicago dog. It's funny to see. It's wonderful to see. It's spring training. But when you signed a guy like Manny Ramirez, we figured that out the other day. Boston's what? St. Saint, Saint Myers, I think it is, where they train. Cody? You sign a big-time free agent, it gets everybody excited. So I like Boris's idea. Instead of saying, it's not Jupiter. Did you put in Red Sox spring training? Yeah. And you didn't get anything? I think it's Fort Myers. That doesn't matter. So Scott Boris told Evan Drellich of The Athletic, another friend of the program. Well, we've had Boris and Drellich on the program that a way that you could do this without restricting markets and teams like the A's. Was I right, Fort Myers? The A's are not going right now into the winter meetings going, Garrett Cole, we're going to give you eight years, $280 million. That's not what the A's are doing. I've heard rumblings, maybe an extension for Matt Chapman this offseason to get us all fired up. But they're not going into the winter meetings with big pockets. What I could see happening, I like what Boris's idea is, have this date that if you're going to sign a free agent of three years or more, have a date that will incentivize, incentivize teams to do it. Give them luxury tax exemptions. Give them draft pick incentives. Make them want to sign people at the winter meetings. Give them something. Give them a reason to do it. Don't wait till January. Don't wait till February. Hey, go down to San Diego. You sign a guy by this time at the winter meetings. Guess what? We're going to give you two extra draft picks. Or we're going to take off X amount of millions off your tax exemptions because you got the sport juiced and rocking and rolling in the wind. I like that idea. That's not a bad business idea. We'll talk more about that. Coming up next, we're going to head down south and talk to one of the great A's coaches of all time. Ron Washington will join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field team. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Gone for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We're heading down south to talk to Ron Washington in just moments. 
There's an idea in baseball coming up. Commander just saw it. You know how we have the uh, rules guy, the former ref in the booth in the NFL? We're thinking about doing that probably for national games in baseball. I mean, I'll try anything. Try anything once. But I'm not sure if that will translate because there's so many different rules in football that you need to look over during a game to where baseball, I don't know if there's enough. Ron Washington, one of the great coaches in A's history and a big reason why Marcus Simeon is up for the American League MVP, joins us once again, A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend. Wash, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We are doing well. First off, I, I know you, you didn't get as far as you wanted to go in the playoffs with the with the Atlanta Braves, but I got to say it was a very good year, and you guys are really building on something down there. You guys should be proud of the season that you had. Well, we are very proud. You know, um, our young kids improved is what it's all about, uh, that they continue to get better, and they certainly did. And um, we have something, as you said, to look forward to. So now we're just looking forward to 2020. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you learn from from losing. I mean, it's just, it, you know, sometimes there's just teams that are, are young and just they don't know any better. But for a lot of teams, and even like the, the late 80s A's, talk about losing in 88 to the Dodgers. That led to them winning in 89. We talk about the A's the last two years losing in the wild card, and I think you guys losing to the St. Louis Cardinals. You can really learn from that and prepare yourself mentally for the next season. Well, you know, that's what uh, baseball is all about, uh, just trying to get better and be consistent. And I thought last year we were very consistent from the year before. And if we can keep that consistency up going into 2020, I think uh, we may have a shot to go a little further next year. But, you know, the games are played between the lines and there's no predicting. So um, I I just think we just got to make sure that our kids understand that they have to continue to get better. And with that, uh, good things will happen. How proud are you of Marcus Simeon and the fact that he is one of the three up for the American League MVP? Well, I'm very proud. I don't think words can describe how proud I am of Marcus. Uh, Knowing the work he put in, knowing the dedication he got, knowing the teammate he is, knowing the character he has, um, I'm not surprised. You know, he just finally put everything together that I think uh, the Oakland A's organization knew that was inside of him. He finally put it all together both defensively, offensively, and leadership-wise. When you came back to Oakland and you came back to help Marcus Simeon, what was the first thing you did? Did you watch video of him? Did you go up and talk to him? How did you start the relationship, and how did you start the process of rebuilding him? Well, just meeting him for the first time. I mean, he knew who I was from across the way when I was managing in Texas and he was in Chicago. Um, just explaining to him that uh, I can definitely help him go further along and get more consistent in his career. All I need him to do is put the work forth and believe me, and we can get this done. That was the conversation I had. And from the day one that I arrived in Tampa, he went to work. He never questioned anything. He just uh, went about his business, and it's paid off. And that's the type of person that he is. 
something that I talk about all the time, and I've said it a lot today, the fact that when you were working with Marcus, all of us got to see it. It wasn't like you guys did it in private. You did it out in the open, and I think some guys with big egos wouldn't have wanted to do that. They would have wanted done it in private. You guys did everything out in front of us. You had different training gloves. You had different training methods. Talk about the fact that he was willing to learn, and he didn't care who saw or what anyone thought. Well, I think what it was, I think you have to give Billy Bean, Dave Force, and uh, Bob Melvin credit. Number one, they believed in him, and he knew that they believed in him. And um, when Bill called me to come there to try to help Marcus go a little further on the defensive side of it, you know, everybody thinks the work is just on his defense, but we also work on his mentality, how to deal with adversity, how to continue to, to do things and know that we're looking at the big picture down the road, not just what's going to happen today or what's going to happen tomorrow. And this kid already had a tremendous mindset. So it wasn't that hard, really, to get him where he is right now. It just took the proper work on a daily basis repetition, 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 because that's what the game of baseball is about. And the ability to do those things was already in him. He just had to be showed how to go about it. And that's where I came in. I just showed him how to go about it. But everything that Marcus accomplished was already in Marcus. And he finally brought it out of himself through the dedication and the hard work and the attitude and the commitment and the effort, all the stuff you guys seen out there, because the work he had to do had to be done on the field. We couldn't get it done in private. And I wouldn't have never tried to do it in private because I wasn't hiding anything and Marcus wasn't hiding anything. The whole purpose was he was trying to get better, and he did. And you're doing it at the premier position in Major League Baseball. You know, it, we, we always laugh, and, and we have the uh, the movie cut uh, talking about Hatterberg trying to play first, and, and Billy Bean is saying it's easy to play first. And, of course, your character is like, no, it's not. Well, first base, my God, shortstop. That, you're talking shortstop, watch. that's a whole different ball game. Well, it is a whole different ball game. But if you got a student that's willing to put in the time and relax his mind, and you have a coach that knows what he's doing, then it's easy in a sense. My thing is, I just wanted Marcus to go out there and do what he had to do. Whatever went wrong with his game, he had someone there to help him get past it. And what might happen today can happen tomorrow or it can happen next week. But each time something happened that wasn't right, we discussed it, we worked on it, and when it happened in the game again, he was prepared for it. And that's what teaching is about. And, um, you know, you can be the best teacher in the world, but if your student don't, don't apply what you're trying to give to him, uh, you are considered worthless. Well, I'm not worthless because Marcus applied it, and he was a tremendous student. And so many times when, when guys work on one aspect of their game, it can affect the other aspect. And the great thing about where Marcus is now with that sound mind it's all flowing. Offensively, he was absolutely brilliant this year at the leadoff spot, scoring so many runs, hitting the home runs, the doubles, the RBIs. Uh, his numbers look like a guy hitting in the three-hole, even though he's a leadoff guy, and then playing gold-glove defense. Isn't it beautiful, Wash, when everything's going together? It is beautiful, and I can tell you what, the Oakland A's and the people that runs it and the people that make the decisions – from the top to Bob Melvin running things on the field, they knew that what Marcus has accomplished this year is something that could be a part of his game for a long time to come. They knew that. 
And it was just a matter of getting him to understand how to get the one part that was sort of difficult to him. It wasn't like he couldn't do it. Uh, he just didn't know. As you said earlier, he was playing a position that was prime, and he just didn't know all the nuances of that position. Well, I didn't hold back. I gave him all the nuances, and it wasn't going to happen in a week. It wasn't going to happen in a month. It was going to happen through process. And we stayed in the process, and voila, what you guys got out there in Oakland is a superstar ball player, but we always seen that. You could see sometimes the way he swung the bat, what he was capable of doing. You could see his intelligence between the lines. And all of that stuff just came together through his work ethic. And because of his work ethic, it came together. And now we have it, and he's the kind of kid that will not let it get away because of his work ethic. And another of your star pupils was on our show on Monday, and that was Eric Chavez. And he was singing your praises you know, you've had an opportunity with Miguel Tejada. I mean, you've had an opportunity to work with some great infielders. What is that like when you have somebody with great ability and then you're able to put your knowledge and help them as a teacher, put it all together, and it just makes something so special? I think it all comes down to developing a relationship. It all comes down to making them a part of what you're doing. I know what I'm doing. You just got to believe in what I'm doing and you have to stay in the process. So it's about developing a relationship. And I developed a relationship with every ball player that I ever dealt with. I developed that relationship where you can tell me what you feel because that's the only way I'm going to know what I have to do to help you feel it on a more consistent basis. And um, that's what it was. I just was fortunate enough to be in Oakland when they had all them young infielders coming through there. And Marcus just happened to be one that Billy Dean called me back for. And, um, you know, now I'm in Atlanta, and I have almost the same situation where I've got a group of young infielders that's willing to absorb as much knowledge as they possibly can to go along with their ability. And that's what it's take. You want to play on what you know, and that ability will stay around longer. But if you're just playing on that ability, one day it will leave. You know, Wash, we, we got a, a lot of young baseball players that listen to the show. And obviously we're in the fall uh, you know, talking about whether it's college guys or high school guys will be starting after January. And, you know, if you could give them some advice of what to work on in the off season to get them ready for the season, what would that advice be? Fundamentals, uh, how to hold, how to control your body, how to use your, your feet, you know, um, how to use your hands at certain angles, how to attack baseballs at certain angles. Um, you don't attack baseballs at the same angle, at the same position. So there's all of these different nuances that you have to have. But the main thing is to, number one, keep your feet moving. And if your feet is in motion, the hands will always work. Use your hands out in front of your body. Everything you catch, you can see. You know, I'm not into funneling. Huh? you got guys out there that funnel the ball, and they do a tremendous job at it. I will never change them. But those that are not having the success that those guys are having funneling. You always want to try to catch the ball out front where you can see it. And those are the fundamental things, and those are the things you have to repeat on a daily basis. And if you repeat those over and over and over and over, the good things will start to happen more consistent. In the game of baseball, it's about how consistent you can be. I think Atlanta's got to be a lot like Oakland and a lot like the other teams that didn't win the World Series but had a good year, that this is going to be like a really short offseason because everybody is like 
itching to get back at it, itching to start 2020. I mean, you, we want to do the holidays and everything, but don't you feel like it's going to be a short spring because everybody's so so excited about 2020? Yes, and that only means that you know you have a chance as a group. You know you have a chance as a group, and you can't wait to get back to do the things that you didn't get done uh, the prior year. And that means that there is a excitement, and I think there's excitement in Oakland, and I know there's a lot of excitement in Atlanta. Wash, you're the best. Enjoy Thanksgiving. Enjoy Christmas and the holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays to you guys, too. Thank you for having me on. The great Ron Washington, friend of the program, one of the great teachers in Major League Baseball. I mean, it's uh, it, it's great to have him on. He's a, he's a special guy. Coming up next. You may be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. As I tell people, don't be afraid. There's no, there's no reason to be afraid. In the end, you're going to love it. I guarantee it. Now back to Ace Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Adam Virtus is the scout. Who told the White Sox, you got to draft Marcus? He's going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Said, hey, I've seen this guy. He's a Northern California and Northern Nevada scout for the White Sox. Adam Virtus will join us here at 2.30. And the White Sox are looking to make a big play. Okay, don't be afraid by this, please. Please don't. Robo-umps, I didn't think was going to happen this fast. I I thought it would take time, but it is coming faster than you think. It's going to be in minor league baseball next year. So, essentially, what they're doing is they're taking what they did in the Atlantic League, which they were happy with, but they're improving the technology, and they're going to put it somewhere in games, real games, in minor league baseball. So they've been running it not only in the Atlantic League, but the Arizona Fall League. Which means once you start doing it in the minor leagues and it's, it starts working and whatever bugs you have, because Rob Manfred has admitted it's technology, there's going to be some issues, we'll continue to fix those issues, but once we're 100% sure that this works, it's going to be a go. And I want you to remember this. What they're doing is not gonna, it's not gonna change your 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 it's not gonna change how you view baseball. I hope you understand that. The plan is you'll have an umpire behind home plate, he'll have an earpiece that you will not see because he has his mask on. And the umpire will be told ball or strike. And he'll call it ball or strike. So it's not like you're going to be sitting there going, you're changing my game. You won't even, I mean, you'll know what's going on, but it won't change. The aesthetics of it doesn't change. How does that affect you? When I explain it that way, even the oldest of oldest old school fan broadcaster, like if I had Ken Korak here, And I said, Kent, you're still going to have a home plate umpire. He's going to have an earpiece in. 
He's still going to call the ball or strike. You're not even going to know it's animated. I mean, you're going to know, but you won't see it as that. He's still calling the ball or strike. And he's still going to be there behind home plate. Are we good? See, that's where everybody was worried, like, well, what are you going to do with the home plate umpire? We'll even be there. And if he's not there, no, everything will be the same. It's just he's not calling the ball or strike. And he'll be there if the technology ever slips up. He's there to go, no, like, ball bounces in the dirt, pops up, and hits the bottom of the zone, and gets called a strike, he can wave it off as a ball. He's there as a last line of defense. I thought this was going to take a long time. I actually thought this was going to be, all right, we'll put in the Atlantic League. Yeah, Eric Burns did his deal up north up here. Hey, this is fun. This is happening way faster than I thought. They are working on fixing whatever kinks there are. They're working on it right now, the technology. And what was what was the one thing coming out of the last few games of the World Series that everybody did not like? The strike zone. People did not, five, six, and seven of the World Series did not like the strike zone. Umpires and their strike zone for too long have been inconsistent. We don't know what they're going to be from night to night. They're human beings. Each strike zone is different. I don't know how people accept that. A strike should be a strike and a ball should be a ball. And it shouldn't be based on... Well, this umpire's taller, this umpire's shorter, this umpire calls it outside, this guy calls it inside, this guy's a low ball ump, this guy's a high ball ump. A strike should be a strike. There's no bitching and complaining. There's no managers yelling. Aaron Boone's not coming out. Our guys are savages. They're effing savages. And he's getting thrown out of the game. You take all that out. You don't need... How many, how many times do we see Bob Melvin or see somebody else complaining about the strike zone? It happens all the time. And we accept it until the games really mean something. And then once the games really mean something, now the strike zone is so... we Was it game six with... No, game five with Garrett Cole? Yeah, game five, after game five, everybody was so up in arms about the strike zone. It was Robo-Ump. Give me Robo-Ump. Robo-Ump works. Robo-Ump. Romo. Robo. I was Romo. Robo-Ump is going to get it right, and it's going to have an act. You're going to have an actual real strike zone. Strike zone starts at your knees, and the strike goes all the way up to the bottom of your letters. And then there's a strike zone on the outside corner, Lower half of the outside corner, upper half of the outside corner, inner half. When's the last time you saw a ball pitched inside and up called a strike? I'll wait for it. When's the last time you saw that? You want to weigh in, Cody? Last time you saw a fastball inside 
where players, as soon as the ball comes inside, they back up and throw their arms. Oh, my God, it was thrown it. And watch it go, strike. Because guess what? If it hits in the, in the strike zone, boop, strike. Do you feel like do you feel like the uh, strike zone being added to games like the box is like kind of ru- ruined the uh, viewing pleasure for the fan because now they can see where every ball and strike is? I've seen people complain about that on Twitter, saying how the the box has ruined baseball viewing wise on TV. Couldn't disagree more. Same. I think it. I think it adds to it, not takes a, take away from it because now you can actually see where these these pitches are lo- being located instead of just oh well hey the umpire says it's there so we got to believe them. Well. Or look at the pitcher and the catcher, bitch about a pitch, and you look and go, no, nah, that's not in the box. That's a ball. That, that'll be the great thing about now we're going to know what a strike is. I want you guys to think about how many times have you watched, how many times have you watched a guy, ball comes up and in, but it would be a strike. It's in the box, and they act like, oh, my God, you almost hit me. No, it's in the strike zone. You're crowding the plate. It happened. I get kind of tired of it because it's, I see guys doing it, and it's like it, it's a strike. Like, if it's across your chest, it's a strike. But, but does it ever get called a strike? No. And see, that is what the big change will be. Instead of Greg Maddox throwing the ball three, four inches outside and getting a strike, because that's a ball in the electric strike zone because it's not really a strike, and because he's fooling the umpire, as Ray Fossey would talk about. Ray Fossey would set up. Think about this. Ray Fossey would sit outside ball, but Catfish Hunter would always hit his glove, so the umpire called it a strike. That's how bad these guys have been for a long time. Hey, Catfish is pinpoint. Catfish throws it and hits Fossey's glove. It's a strike. Well, Fossey's not set up in the strike zone. Where the pitchers will have the advantage is now they can throw up, they can throw in, they can throw out, they can throw down, down and out, down and in, up and in, up and out. All these pitchers, I'm telling you, the high strike does not get called on a consistent basis. Hitters watch those all day long, and if it ever gets called a strike, they turn around and complain. Well, now they won't be able to because high, if it's outside and up and in that box or inside and up in, which they really hate, but it's in the box, it's a strike. So you you can't just sit there and crowd the plate and get those calls anymore because the umpires don't call it. It'll now be a strike. This will be such a good thing for the game. Tell me how your launch angle is going to work on an up and in hard fastball for a strike. How are you gonna How are you gonna launch that one? Good luck with that. How about the fastball outside and up in the strike zone? How's that gonna work? It will help all the home runs come down, I guarantee you that. Maybe baseball doesn't want that. But I'm telling you, Robo-Wump is coming faster than you think. It's faster than I think. I, I'm kind of shocked they're already u- going to use it in Major League Baseball this year. Coming up next, the man that saw the talent in Marcus Simeon, right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. Andrew Virtus, who's a scout for the Chicago White Sox in Northern California, Nevada. It's a guy that liked Marcus out of Cal. Andrew Vaughn, who was just out of Cal. What did he see in Marcus? And you know, what you're going to hear from everybody 
You like the character. I mean, that's like first and foremost. You love the character of the guy. Then you start liking the athleticism and everything that goes with it. I remember when Marcus was struggling, and I had a conversation with Bob Melvin about it. Bob Melvin said, I'll go to war with that kid any day of the week. And I was like, really? He goes, he's just going to get better. There's no way he can't. His work ethic and his athleticism. And Bob was right. Well, everybody was so worried about the airs that were piling up air after air after air. Melvin said, he's going to be good. It's just going to take some time. But I'll go to, like he said, I'll go to war with that kid anytime. And Adam now joining us. Adam, welcome to A's Cast Live with Chris Towns, and thank you for coming on the program. Thanks, Chris, for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I just got to think it's a special moment for you. We had Marcus on earlier on the show to watch Marcus Simeon grow and, and to be an AL MVP candidate. What it mean to you that he that he's at least in the top three as of right now? Yeah, uh, it's a pretty special moment. I'm, I'm sure, obviously, for Marcus and his family and, you know, e- even myself. I mean, this kid uh, is a special kid. Um, it's, it's just crazy to me that his name's kind of even being mentioned with, you know, the Trouts and those guys of the world. And, again, it's just a testament to him and what he's done over his career, um, all the hard work that this kid's put in. I mean, people sometimes don't realize what it really takes to get there. And this kid's a a worker. He's a tireless worker. uh, And, you know, it's it's special. I mean, it's got to be special for sure. Well, we had David Esker, who you know, his old head coach. He's now over at Stanford once again, talking about him and talking about character. As a scout, when you first saw Marcus, what did you like? Well, you know, when we saw Marcus, it was it was actually back in high school. Uh, we we drafted him out of high school in two thousand and eight, um, and we really liked him then. And you know, when I first saw him, I, I kind of saw a, a young, athletic kid. You know, obviously, when you go see a player, the first thing that you see without meeting a kid is, you know, his athleticism, how he moves. Um, he played shortstop, and, you know, he just – I remember like it was yesterday, you know. Um, I was with my supervisor, Derek Valenzuela, and we're just like, man, this kid really kind of reminds me, you know, of a young Barry Larkin. You know, he he really moved well. And one thing that I like as, a, as an amateur scout is just kind of how you move on your feet. You know, and he, and he ran well, and he just did all the little things right at that young age. And you knew he was going to grow up and get stronger, get bigger, um, and, and get better. I mean, to say that, uh, you know, this kid was going to be in, M- in an MVP race back in 2008, I'd be lying if I told you that. <laughs> but, you know, there was just something there. He, he did everything right. Um, I liked how he ran, and, and, and that's something I look for a lot is how, how you run and how loose your body is. And he just he checked all the boxes at that point, and he could really throw. That was the one thing I was really intrigued in. And at a young age, if you, if you have an arm to play that, that uh, super position, you know, at, at that young of age, it's only going to get better. So that, that's kind of what I saw early on in his high school career. And then he goes to Cal, and now he starts to grow into his body and get stronger. And then just how much was it of his makeup of being a super guy? Did that help everything for you to tell the White Sox, you got to draft this guy? Yeah, no brainer. Um, I've met a lot of kids in in my time doing this, and he's by far 
uh, one of the best makeup character kids you'll ever come around. Um, again, I, I got so many stories, but, uh, you know, out of high school, once we took him, I remember calling down to my West Coast guy. He was at Disneyland with his family, and Marcus was going to go play in a summer game down there. And, uh, we had him under control, I believe, for that summer. And I'm like, hey, listen, just go see him one last time. Let's try to find him. And we ended up having a conversation with his mom and his dad. And, you know, I'm sure, as you know, you know, both of them went to Cal, uh, Cal grads. And I think the dad played football. And he wanted to go to Cal. And, and after that conversation, we knew, hey, listen, we got to do right by him and let him go to Cal. Um, and so we said, hey, you know what, Marcus, we'll see you in three years. That comes pretty quick, and we're going to try to draft you again. And character makeup, it just came out then. It was just like, I know what this kid's going to be. He's mature beyond his age in high school. And, you know, another quick tidbit, I remember I was down in spring training this year, and I was watching Cal play in a tournament, and I look up, and Marcus is in the stands just watching his old team play. Like, nobody does that anymore, and that, that tells you right there what kind of kid this is. And I say kid, he's not a kid anymore. No, he's, uh, you know, and, and his dad will call my show and, and know Marcus well and his wife. And, and I like to say all the time, there's no question he was raised right. And his character plays so well in a big league clubhouse. And the thing that you notice about Marcus, too, is that he works so hard that he's a leader by example. Everybody knows this guy plays every day. This guy's out there early every day. He's grinding in batting practice. He's grinding it in his drills and taking ground balls. If Marcus is out there working hard, you know, Adam, that other, other guys are going to look at, well, I got to be out there busting my butt too. Yeah. He, he's like a, uh, what, what I call like, he, he's a quiet worker and it shows like he's, he's just a quiet worker. He's not flashy. He's not famous. You know, and it's just that that's who he is and that's who he's always been. Um, and, and that's why he's so good. He listens. I mean, I talked to him for five minutes down there in, in Arizona when he was in spring training. And I asked him, hey, you know, what, what has gotten you to this point? You know, and he, we just kind of talked for five or ten minutes, even about his approach at the plate. And he's very, you know, he's very intelligent. He's a very intelligent young man. And I think for someone in your line of work, you're going to have a you're you know if you're around long enough you're going to have a bunch of guys drafted and not many make it to the big leagues that's how tough it is so i think just for you when you get one of the guys that was your guys to get to the big leagues and then blossom like this has to mean so much to you for for all the work all the time on the road all the hotels all the time away from your family it's got to be special for you inside it, it is cool. I mean, it, you'd be lying. I mean, I'd be lying if I, I said it wouldn't, but it is very cool. Um, you know, you get a kid like this to do what he's doing. You know, we're, we're this is a tough, you know, we're, we're not the best psychics in the world. We, we really can't tell you exactly what each kid's going to be, but it, it is fun. You know, like you said, all the miles and stuff. And, and we draft a lot of guys over our years in doing this. And, and when you get a couple to get to the big leagues that have an impact, I think that's the most important uh, thing and the most satisfaction you get as an area scout is when a player actually has an impact, whether it's a middle infielder or, 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 or an arm. Um, and, and this kid's having an impact and not only having an impact, an impact in his backyard now, you know, and, you know, I'm sure that helps him a lot. And it's, it's, it's really cool to see just not only just for me selfishly, but uh, you know, for the, for the industry, it's, it's really cool to get a guy in the, in the sixth round, you know, that, that that's a possible MVP that, 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 you know, the signing bonus isn't $7 million like it is in the first round anymore. It's, it's really cool. 
I, and I think about your line of work and your job is to evaluate humans and it's not easy. And I always think about, you know, in the NFL and the NFL draft, I mean, they have such an advantage because when you're a college football player, not only is every game on television, every practice you do, they film. They've got more film on a guy. You've got the combine. You can work them out. They get to see guys more than anybody, and you still miss drafting those type of guys. It's just it, it is really, really a tough industry for no matter what. I mean, picking players, you just you think you know, but you just don't know how good they're going to be. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I've drafted guys who I, I who, who I've drafted kids who I think are the are, are the next coming. And, and and hey, God, this kid's a great kid. He's got a 4.0. He's done this. Next thing you know, in two years, you know, he's getting himself in trouble. You you, you don't really know. Um, I mean, once you're in the business a little bit, you get a better feel because you start establishing relationships. And I got to tip my hat to to Dave Esther and the Cal program because. You know they're a program that they're they're uh, you know they're very scout friendly. Dave Dave is one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's scout friendly. He lets us get to to know his kids um, on and off the field. He he doesn't restrict that. And you know having a guy like that run your program that you know Cal's had a lot of success with a lot of players over there getting to the big leagues over the years. So the more you get to know a kid, obviously you know you feel better about drafting that kid. Um, but even sometimes the best kids in the world end up not being that best kid, if, if, if that makes sense. No doubt. And you were with Andrew Vaughn, right, out of Cal? You got him drafted? Correct. Yes. So, you know, the one comparison. He's pretty good. Yeah, I heard Jeff Bagwell, man. Well, if he can have a career like Jeff Bagwell, I think he'll be okay. Uh, third pick overall in the 2019 draft. Tell me, tell me what you loved about him and why you think he'll get to the big leagues. Yeah, uh, Andrew, uh, another prime example of uh, a mature, you know, professional approach as a college kid, 21 years old. You know, you could go watch this guy and, and, and you'd put him in a big league uniform right now and you, you would think that he has been in the lineup for five years. Um, his, his just knowledge of, of, of the strike zone, his approach, his mentality, um, I Every time I came to see this kid, it's a different position, but he kind of reminded me of Matt Williams um, as, as a hitting approach. Just never really swung and missed, and he was just – I love to watch Matt Williams hit. When I go see a player, an amateur player, I got to have that feeling of, I want to be here, I want to watch you hit. I want to see what you're going to do with this slider down and away. I want to see how far you know Andrew Vaughn's going to hit one over the building. And this kid has a chance to be really, really special uh, over, over at first base. It's a premium bat. Uh, uh, the makeup's off the chart. Um, so I, I expect him to be in the big leagues and, and do some damage in the next couple of years for sure. And I think about the White Sox. White Sox were young. They've taken on the chin. I have a feeling that they're going to make some moves this offseason. They had the big money for Manny Machado, but now they're going to spend it somewhere else. How's your feeling overall about the organization heading into 2020? I'm feeling ecstatic. Um, I've been here for 25 years. Uh, so I, I've been through the ups and the downs. And this feeling that we get, we just had organizational meetings. They went really, really well. We're, we're, we're extremely excited about these young players that are coming up in our system. Um, and once we find a couple more pieces to that puzzle, you know, ho hopefully something good here could happen. But I, I couldn't be happier. 
um, I, I'm very excited to look in here towards the next couple of years for sure. Adam, we really appreciate your time and congratulations with Marcus. I, I know it means a lot to everybody that's been around him. You got it. Hey, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Adam Virtus, Chicago White Sox. Yeah. When one, hey, you know, he, dra- he he's the one that sent the card and he's the one that said, hey, the report, draft this guy, high school, college. You see something. You see something in a kid that you know is special. Not everybody's going to be the number number one overall pick. Not everybody's going to be a first round. It doesn't matter. You just got to get in. You just got to get the opportunity. And then it's about what you make of it. There is a position in baseball that you can say guys get better in time. Are they the best investment? And why this guy may be the number one, he should be maybe the number one free agent coming up here. We'll talk about it next right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Coming up here at the top of the hour, it's the David Force Show. Now, David and Bob Melvin are on weekly during the season. We won't torture them during the offseason like that. So we'll have them, I don't know. What do you say, Cody? Once a month? We'll shoot for? Yeah, it's been about a month since we had David on, so it was a good time to get him on today. So that gives uh, David's off the hook till December. Yeah, and, you know, month's coming up on Bob. We'll get Bob probably next week or the week after, and maybe Emo next week. Talking technology and baseball? And I'm working on uh, another manager in the A system. Oh, they manage the greatest offensive team in the history of baseball, Fran Reardon. I mean, he may be the only guy to understand what it's like to to manage Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig at the same time. He might be the only man alive. Yeah, I saw that a friend of the program who was, might be losing that title soon, John Morosi, tweeting about one of the minor leaguers down there for that Fran had in AAA, who uh, was tearing it, tearing it up in AAA. So. Peyton, right? Yeah. So what might I have to ask Fran about him and what his uh, outlook could be? Because uh, John Morosi making him pretty popular on Twitter. John knows a lot of people. So, so you 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 got a position here that traditionally, if guys are legit, they don't fall off that fast, as everybody's calling for two hundred and got Jim Bowden kind of got out on his skis there in the in the athletic. You're going to pay this guy, Garrett Cole's get, what was Garrett Cole, $280 million? $280 million? For the majority of the time of that, he's going to be in his 30s? Strasburg getting over $200 million? Well, what about Anthony Rendon? There's been some people that go, I'm going past pitching. I'm going with the guy that plays every day. And he is going to be the number one guy on the free agent board. Rendon at 314, 34 jacks, 126 RBIs. He reportedly turned down an offer of seven years, 210 or 215, somewhere in that range. A lot of people believe Rendon does not want to play for a long time. He might be looking to do that contract that I've always liked. Short-term and overpay. 
seven years, eight years. No, I'll give you three or four years at $35, 40000000 million per. The same kind of deal the Dodgers tried to do with Bryce Harper, and he was not having it. He wanted long-term security. Rendon could be the guy that finally takes the kind of deal that I would want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay you for still your best years, and then I then then you're gone. Now, highest weighted runs created plus, which is a Fangraphs analytic. It encompasses ballparks, all kinds of different situations to go with your numbers. A lot of people like it. So, third baseman in the divisional era since 1969. Ages 27 through 29. Remember, anything over it. The higher you get over, the higher you get over 100, the better. Between ages 27, 29, highest weighted runs created plus. Can you guess who's number one, Commander? Anthony Rendon. Not even close. Part of me, I will be honest, part of me didn't hear some of that because I was looking at an email that I just got sent. But just do, From who? From Amelia Tell me thank you for sending her the interviews to help promote Marcus. Wade Boggs. It was pretty good. I believe he's, I believe he's a Hall of Famer. 160. Number two, my favorite player of all time. George Brett. George Brett at 158. Number three. Chipper Jones, 156. Hall of Famer. Number four. This name, don't let it fool you. Pedro Guerrero. He was pretty good. Blew out his knee, and he was done. Incredible stories I've heard about Pedro Guerrero also. Alex Rodriguez. Uh, oh, A-Rod. That, that guy. Edgar Martinez. Hall of Famer. Anthony Rendon. Josh Donaldson, Mike Schmidt. It's pretty good. So my point is, if you're on this list, all these guys played well into their 30s and were productive. It wasn't until they got late 30s, Brett could still hit. To the very end, Brett could still hit. To the very end, Wade Boggs could still hit. Josh Donaldson's coming off a phenomenal year. Edgar could hit to the day he retired. A-Rod ran out of gas. Well, he wasn't on roids anymore. Chipper Jones was good till the end. So my point is... There, there is a guy you're forgetting that's not on there. Adrian Beltre is pretty good all the way through his career also. But this was the highest weighted runs created plus ages 27 to 29. Oh, yeah, because those years he was playing with Seattle and they weren't that great. They 20, weren't that good. He went to tech, they had that one year with Boston and went to Texas. Okay. But yeah, he, I'm going to say, if you're looking at longevity going in the 30s, Beltre is up there. Uh, Beltre's going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, he had a pretty, he had a, he had a nice career, as they say. So when they, so when we're talking about top free agents, you mocked Commander Cody, mocked this list, Anthony Rendon. He might be the best one, especially if he's only going to play four more years. I mean, he's that super laid back guy. They talk about doesn't have a pulse. He just shows you he can play in the postseason. If I don't have to ink him up for seven, eight years, 
Is Garrett Cole throwing 100 miles an hour in six years? I don't know. Strasburg? I don't know. I'm just trying to make a case that Rendon may be a guy that if you can have anybody in this class looking back to his contemporaries, third baseman, 27 through 20. Rendon's been a fantastic player the last couple of years. He's on this list. He's on this list with the only guys who are not Hall of Famer. Pedro Guerrero blew out, I mean, shattered his knee, changed his career. A-Rod would be in if it wasn't for PEDs, and he may still get in. He's not on the ballot yet. Telling you, if they put Big Poppy in, let's say Big Poppy's a first ballot guy. There's going to be a lot of explaining to do. Donaldson got a late start in his career. The A's had him catching. Oh, my God. It's got, you know, we're in the A's building right now, so, like, this is being played in the offices. Why was Matt Olson in right field? Why was Josh Donaldson catching? I know he caught at Auburn, but a guy who's that good of an athlete should not be catching. It's funny, some of the guys that make those decisions are actually right next to us, in the office right next to us. That's why I'm whispering. You don't get everything right, bottom line. But Schmidt's a Hall of Famer. Edgar's a Hall of Famer. I mean, these are Hall of Famers. Because you don't need to be a great athlete to finish at third base. Like Matt Chapman's so good. And really, Wade Boggs and George Brett, they were just eh fielders anyway. And what's the other thing that you can do with the guy that really swings it, but maybe loses it a little bit? You can put him over first base. And if he's an American League guy, you can put him at DH. And that's something with Radon. I have a hard time thinking that. Are we? Do we know for a fact he turned down that offer? Because let's face it, Washington has been the kings at leaking. We offered this, and it was not so real. Uh, I heard Ken Rosenthal say on MLB Now uh, the other day that you know he he did turn it down according to the Washington Post, but that's also a newspaper based in Washington D.C. We also heard the rumors of how they were going to offer Juan Soto that what was it like eight years, one hundred eighty million? Where, where's that? Where's that contract gone since then? They did the same thing. Remember, they they leaked out the Bryce Harper. Oh, with the deferred money, that was a good one. Oh, we offered him. You know, so you can never, you you, you can't trust it, unless you see the sheet of paper, unless you see whatever whatever it's on. Is it an email? Unless you see it, you don't know exactly. Like for instance, it was reported. The A's offered Jason Giambi around 90-something million dollars. Jason Giambi, friend of the program, said on this show, there was never an official offer from the A's. There was an official offer from anybody. The only team that made Jason Giambi an official offer, according to Jason, was the New York Yankees. Nobody else. So whenever someone reports, well, they offer, eh, take it with a grain of salt. Coming up next, you know how proud this front office is of Marcus Simeon. To watch, they trade for him, 
They watch him grow, and it's been great to watch. And I know it means a lot to them because there was a lot of people like myself who said, I don't see it. I mean, it was almost like torture. You know, you keep throwing this guy out here, he can't play short. I know I said it, and I admit it. I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. And I love the fact that Marcus proved me and so many others just flat out wrong. And you've got to give David Forrest. You've got to give Billy Bean. You've got to give this front office credit. They believed. And that's the thing that you learn about Marcus from everybody who's around him. Everybody's always believed. I remember Bip Roberts believed. Everybody's believed in this kid's heart. They've believed in his soul. They believed in his mind. We all do now. We didn't back then when he was making airs, but we do now. And I'm glad we do. Coming up next, it's going to be the GM show with David Forrest right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Twenty-nine other MLB clubs. Two-two pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back, gone. Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pedro, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe, from spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, now joining us on A's Cast Live, it's time for the General Manager Show. David Forrest stops by here in the offseason to talk a little bit about what's going on with his Oakland Athletics as we're getting close to winter, and we'll be talking about the winter meetings, but most importantly, about Marcus Simeon. David, how are you? I am great, Chris. I haven't uh, talked to you in about a month, heard your show, but I haven't had much to say in a month, so nice to be back. How's life treating you? (laughs) I am happy to be into November when we get to start talking players. Uh, October around here is a lot of administrative stuff. Everybody's got to be re-signed. You got minor league coaches, major league coaches, scouts, all on contracts that need to be renewed. A lot of office and budget stuff. I'm ready to to move on and start talking players. Yeah, that's the non-fun stuff in baseball. It's got to be great just to get out of that. Now you get back to what you love to do. Yeah, exactly. And we get to look towards our 2020 team and start making the pieces fit, talk to some free agents, figure out, you know, we got our own guys who are arbitration eligible. We got trade trade talks coming up at the GM meetings next week. So, yeah, this is when it starts to get fun again. You know, they were floating it to the players union, Major League Baseball about having a deadline like they have in the other sports for free agency to really get free agency going again and to kind of get that hot stove league winter meetings kind of vibe because we haven't had that in the last couple of years. When you saw that, how would you feel about it? (laughs) Well, first of all, they're right. I mean, things have slowed down the last couple of years. I know there's been a lot of complaints from fans and the media that, hey, we get all the way through the GM meetings, the winter meetings, through the first of the year, and there's still all these guys out there. Um, You know, from where I sit, I don't want anything that restricts our flexibility. I mean, these guys... Uh, these guys are free agents. They deserve to be out there and take their time, find the right fit. And, um, 
you know, some years are different than others. It's been slow. You never know, depending on the crop. But uh, I like the fact that we, you know, we've been able to find some deals out there February and March. So selfishly, when you, you sign a Jonathan Lucroy in spring training or you sign Trevor Cahill and Brett Anderson in February, whatever the case, uh, it's worked out well for us. So I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready for any change. So the number one thing to talk about is Marcus Simeon and being a part of the, the group with Trout and Bregman with the opportunity to potentially win the MVP. And you just think about the year that he had. I mean, he fills up, a, you know, we talk about in the NBA, he fills up a stat sheet, a box score. I mean, you think about what Marcus Simeon did this year, this turnaround. And I know there's some people on the East Coast who are like, Marcus Simeon, but when we got to watch him every day, a guy that plays 162, then you throw in all the numbers, the runs scored, the home runs, the doubles, the RB. I mean, he did everything this year. Just how proud were you of your shortstop? It's it's an incredible story. And to those people on the East Coast who don't know who Marcus is, you're missing out because there is no doubt he belongs in this conversation. And Mike Trout and Alex Bregman are fantastic, incredible players. What Marcus did this year is absolutely in their category. And, and he led us 162 times out on the field. And uh, I'm sure you talk to every guy in our clubhouse. They will tell you who sets the tone. Marcus goes out there with his, his work ethic. He leads by example. He literally leads us off every night from that one hole in the lineup. And uh, just, just an incredible full season by, by a great, great competitor. And I think a lot of people don't throw this way. To, you know, they don't throw it in too much. But the fact that you said he went to the post every single night. There, there needs to be something said about a guy that puts up big numbers and plays every single game for a team that won 97 games. Yeah, there's a ton of value in that. And, and look, not every guy out there is built to play 162 games. We, we've learned over the years there are guys who are 150 game, 155 game guys who just their body needs a break. But, you know, we talk so much about starting pitchers and guys who take the ball every fifth day. And there's a ton of value in that. But a position player, a guy in the middle of the diamond, who hits for power? This guy goes out there every night. Um, it's hard to put. It's hard to sort of quantify that value. And then you think about the fact that he he let off. And I know in spring training we actually talked to you about it, to where you know Marcus could lead off against left-handers. At what point in the season did you and and Bob Melvin decide he needs a lead off? It doesn't <laughs> matter who's pitching; he's leading off every single day. Well, look to Bob's credit, he he, he felt that way from the beginning. I think as a group. We looked at, at Ramon as a potential to lead off as well and wanted to kind of see how the lineup looked with each guy at the top. And, and if you look at those games in Japan, Ramon was up there at the top, uh, I believe, opening night, and then it, it flip-flopped the next day. And I think Marcus took over from there. I mean, I, uh, Bob felt like Ramon, you know, only having a couple months in the big leagues was better off a little bit further down the lineup or in the two-hole with, say, Marcus and Chapman or, or Marcus and Olsen on either side. So, to Bob's credit, he thought Marcus was the guy all along, and it didn't, it didn't take the rest of the group long to, uh, to come around. So, we had Eric Chavez on, and we were talking to him about, obviously, his connection with Ron Washington is so special. He gave him one of his gold gloves. And we were talking about what's so interesting about Marcus is the fact that Wash broke him down. I mean, broke him down and rebuilt him and taught him how to be a major league infielder. That never happens at the big league level. But not only does that never happen, they did it right in front of us. We saw it, the media. We got to see it every single day. And not once 
Did Marcus ever say, hey, listen, I don't want to do this in front of these people. Let's go inside. I think that just says so much about the character of who Marcus Simeon is. He just wanted to get better. He knew Wash could make him better, and he didn't care what it looked like. Most pros would pretty much be embarrassed to not do that. It's a great point, and I, I think about it all the time these days because you, we have MLB Network on, and they've got these ballpark cams everywhere, and you can see everything that happens from like 2 o'clock on in any given ballpark. I mean, just in the World Series, Max Scherzer's out there throwing before Game 6, and it's not a secret to anybody in the world. So your point is, is really well taken. Marcus did this in front of the entire world, and it's not an easy thing to do, um, but he had Wash doing it, and, and we've said this time and again, Wash is absolutely the best instructor I've ever been around at the major league level. I mean, you you don't think about instruction much at this level because you assume guys have gone through the minor leagues. You've got so many coaches and player development. That's where they learn. That's where they hone their skills. You don't think about it up here. Um, but Wash is, is the one guy I've been around who absolutely the first his first responsibility on a major league staff was instruction, and, and Marcus certainly benefited from that. You mentioned the cameras. There are times during the season you don't want people to see what's going on. Like, there's been times when I've been down there, they're like, don't talk about it. And I'm like, yeah, all right, I got you. I'm not going to mention Frankie Montas was here. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, when I think about it, you know, talk about that now, how life has changed. The media now gets here earlier than ever before. You mentioned the cameras are there. Those cameras, we don't know when they're on. They can be on at any time because there are times where you're working a guy out, he's coming back from injury, and you don't want people to see it. For sure. It's it's harder to keep those things under wraps. you got to get here pretty early in the morning to, to have a guy work out on the field with nobody knowing or – um, or And again, like you said, those cameras are on. I just assume it's like Alexa. It's always listening to me. So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we do have the indoor cage where we can do a little bit. I mean, we have had guys work out off-site, but it's it's hard to keep things, you know. And, and we're not looking to hide stuff from the media, but some of it, it's a competitive advantage thing. If you don't want your opponent to know how available somebody is or how close to 100% they are on a given night. Some of those things we try to keep for competitive advantage, but it's it's increasingly difficult. You know, we're starting to get all the publications out there and all the websites and, and all the columnists talking about everybody's biggest need this offseason. And it's real easy for them to say, and it's like everybody goes, the EAs is bullpen. Well, you know what? Who doesn't need bullpen help? Everybody needs bullpen help. So I think that that's too easy. I mean, maybe only the Yankees. I mean, pretty much everybody needs bullpen help. Maybe not the Rays, but most teams. Let's get away from the bullpen because that's an obvious one. You can always use more arms. Where would you say would be the biggest need for your ball club coming up here in this offseason away from the bullpen? Sure, and you're, you are right about the bullpen. Everybody's looking this time of year. Um, the one other thing we've really focused on is how right-handed we are as a group, as a position player group. And you look at, you know, that's not always easy. You, you've got guys like Chapman and Simeon and Loriano and Canna and Piscotti, guys who are sort of ingrained in your lineup no matter what. So it's not always easy to find that balance. But I think we know with the, you know, the couple spots we have to play with, you know, maybe a backup catcher, maybe, a, you know, figure out what we're doing at second base. Uh, the nice thing is we do have a 26th man on the roster this year so maybe that extra guy is a utility guy who swings from the left side that is something that we've talked a lot about uh you know maybe it did or didn't affect us in the wild card game not to have an extra left-handed bat but uh i think we know we need to be more balanced going into next year and um you know give olsen some some protection as kind of the big lefty in the lineup how important is it for you to have 
and, and it's it's hard to do, but to have two guys that can swing it from the catcher position, but have one be right-handed and one be left-handed, that seems like that's the ideal if you can somehow produce that. It is ideal, and we, we had it for a lot of years here. You can't always – can't always plan it that way, but for you know, going back years, we had you know guys like Greg Myers and um, you know Adam Melhews, guys who were backup catchers, but but swung it from the left side. Obviously, that's what we hoped to get last year out of Chris Herman, and with the injury in spring training, he never really caught up and got going. So that is definitely a uh, it's a consideration for us. We just added Jonah Heim, a young catcher, to the roster who's a switch hitter, and that's going to help uh, help his versatility down the road and and help you know, help him make the big league club at some point. I think about your starting rotation. And if we just kind of threw it out, knock on wood here, everybody stays healthy. I think about Mike Fires. I think about Frankie Montas. Uh, I think about Puck. I think about Lazardo. I mean, Manaya Bassett's out of options. So he's a guy that I, I think we could both agree on. You do not want to lose him, whether he earns a spot in spring or he's a long guy. And then I think about all the depth that you have, and it's great Fran Reardon's going to be back friend of the program. We love having him on. And we always joke he's the manager of the greatest offensive team of all time. Uh, I think what you're going to have in AAA, the depth that you're going to have at the big league level and the depth you're going to have in Vegas is just amazing. And it's kind of what you've been building for, and it's like it's like you've been building this house and, and it's finally ready. <laughs> I hope it is. I mean, we still have a long way to get to opening day, and – Anything can happen, but but look, we're going into this offseason with a lot more certainty on the starting pitching side than we had the last two years. I mean, we basically went into the offseasons before 18 and 19 thinking we had to create an entire rotation, and that was not a comfortable feeling. We obviously pieced it together well along the way and found guys midseason, and, um, but it certainly is more comfortable knowing the five guys you mentioned in Bassett, the depth of Daniel Mangdon, Daniel Gossett, Paul Blackburn, uh, you've got Dalton Jeffries, James Caprillion, and Grant Holmes coming in the next wave behind them. So it is absolutely a position of depth for us, which is comforting. Um, and it's all, there's also going to be some competition, which is great. And these guys are going to go out in spring training. There's going to be a lot of innings to go around, and we'll figure it out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's an area of depth. It may be somewhere we can trade out of to get, you know, to help somewhere else. But, uh, at the very least, we know we're not going in the offseason basically creating an entire rotation. You know, organizations are great when everything's clicking. And when I think about what the dynamic you have in the front office, I think about you, I think about Bob Melvin, I think about Billy, I think about the team, your core is pretty much set, all the pitching. Just how nice is it when you, you know, we see these other teams kind of like scrambling for managers and GMs. The fact that you guys have all been together for a long time, you're all comfortable with each other, and the, the roster is pretty much set. It's got to be a, a nice feeling heading into this offseason. It, it is. You're right. And, um, you know, that stability, continuity, whatever you want to call it, is a, I think it's been a big part of our success the last couple of years because we've all worked together for so long. Like you said, we've got this core of players that are comfortable with everybody around them. Uh, I mean, look, there are eight teams out there looking for managers this year who basically had their whole October sucked up by that process. My buddy across the bay is still looking for a manager. He hasn't completed that process yet, so I know he's pulling what's left of his hair out over uh, making that decision. So, <laughs> I yeah, look, the fact that you know Bob's in place, 
you know, we made a, a change at the player development level. We changed, you know, Keith Lippman transitioned out, Ed Sprague came in, which normally would be a huge move, but Ed's been here for a few years. Keith is staying on. It was a very smooth transition. Eric Kubota on the scouting side is still here. We have all this stability that I think goes into kind of a long-term success plan, which is great. And, and Keith, truly one of the great baseball careers. I mean, you talk about being with one organization well, was it was it fifty years? Yeah, this will be his fiftieth year as an A coming up. I mean, you think about that. I mean, the fact that and, and and you know, we actually did an interview earlier today for A's Roundtable talking to Ed Sprague and Ed saying just how much it means. You know, obviously Ed, two time World Series champion, two time college world series champion, won a gold medal. I mean, what a career. And but he talked about, you know, the number one thing for him is He's got this mind, this man that's been in baseball and who's been successful for so, so long. He's just a phone call away. So, you know, as he's transitioning, Keith is towards at some point retiring. It's great they still in the organization, but my God, what a run. Yeah, it's incredible. And he'd be embarrassed to hear us talking about him because the most humble guy you'd meet. And and he wants to stay involved. He wants to work. And knowing Keith, he'll be out there more than, you know, even we expect or, you know, even need him to. But – it's hard to imagine my 20 years here without Keith and without the, the stability he's brought to the farm system and, you know, all the people he's mentored and tutored and all the players that have, that have come through there. Yeah, it's hard to put Keith's impact into words. And let's end on this. What's the one thing you look, it's most important to you, you're looking forward to it, you cannot wait for this offseason? <laughs> well, I said, it's nice to be back talking about players. Next week is a big week for us. We go down to Arizona for the GM meetings. You're in the same place as all 29 other teams, and that's where you really get to start those conversations. I, I think there are a number of moving pieces here from a trade standpoint. We'll get to have those conversations, bring them back to our group after the week, and really dig in leading into the, the winter meetings in San Diego and hopefully make some improvements on this club. Are the GM meetings bigger than the winter meetings? For you. Yeah, they are. I think they're, they're more intimate. You get more work done. The winter meetings are, are more social. It's, it's more of a, a PR game for baseball. Uh, the GM meetings is where you know, everybody just brings you know, a few guys. You're in the same room a lot of the day. You're certainly on the same, you know, same property in, at the hotel, and, and you get to do a lot more work and actually find out some things about your team going forward. I've been saying this. It's going to be a quick offseason because you win 97 games two straight years. And I'm going to be saying this, and I don't know if everybody's going to be comfortable with it. You know, to me, if you're going to win the World Series, you have to believe you can win the World Series. I don't want to talk about wild card. I don't want to talk about division. That's just part of the journey to win the World Series. Bill Romanowski, four-time Super Bowl champion. We used to do Raiders together. And it would fry him. He goes, if it's not about winning the Super Bowl, you'll never get there. Because like Bill Walsh would say, the only way you're going to win the Super Bowl is you got to believe you can win the Super Bowl. So I think where this team is, I believe this team can win the World Series. And I think that's why it's going to be a, a, a quick offseason because a lot of us, we're going to be ready for spring training pretty quick. There's no doubt the expectations are high. And I, and I know that's the case in the clubhouse, too. I've talked enough to the leaders down there, to Marcus, to Chapman, to Olsen. I, I know they expect that. They don't. They don't expect just to win 97 games and to make it to the playoffs, and whether that's a wild card game or even a division series round. They, they expect to win it all. So I think you're right. I've already got February 11th circled on my calendar. That's when we meet with the coaching staff before workouts, and I know that everybody's looking towards that date to get something special started. Great stuff as always. All right, Chris, thanks. And I'll buy you a beer in San Diego because we're going to be there. Great. The David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live. That's right. 
even in the offseason, you get the general manager of your Oakland Athletics. And at this point, I was expecting to have my breaking news. Where is A's Cast Live breaking news? Because we do have breaking news. Live from the ABC Sports Desk in New York, I'm Chris Townsend. Matt Chapman defends his title and earns his consecutive Best Defensive Third Baseman Award from Wilson Gloves. Not bad. It's not yet. It's not yet. He's actually the – no, wait a minute. I'm right. He's the Defensive Player of the Year, according to Wilson? At third base in the AL. At third base. Because Kiermaier won center field. The ones I've seen, Kiermaier won center field. Andrelton won Simmons shortstop. won okay. shortstop, yeah. So he's Defensive Player of the Year at third base, according to Wilson Gloves. When do we get the uh, platinum? When do we hear about the pl- the Rawlings platinum? I thought it was the 8th. I'll double-check that on for that right now. I thought it was the 8th. So that would, What's that the date today? The 6th? So it would be Friday would be the 8th? And hopefully we'll be on the air at that time. All right, so he wins the Defensive Player of the Year at third base, according to Wilson Gloves. Congratulations to him. And pretty sure he's going to get that Platinum Gold Glove. We're, we're going to have to do our research on the Platinum Gold Gloves. Actually, it is uh, it is Friday, November 8th. They're going to announce it at 9.15 p.m. Eastern, so 6.15 here. Either on – wait, what? You can see who wins on either Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube, according to Ooh. the official Rawling site. Uh, I don't have Facebook, so that's out. I don't have a account where I watch TV on YouTube, so it looks like Twitter it is. Yes, I'm the only millennial who probably doesn't have f- Facebook anymore. But it's been about a year, and I couldn't I be happier. You, you, you know, I – I got a feeling uh, Facebook, their other platforms will carry them along because young kids, like my kids, they think Facebook's for old people. Yeah, my mom's on Facebook now, so it is for old people, unfortunately. Remember when everybody was on MySpace? I literally logged into MySpace the other day just to see what my my page was like. Yeah, it takes me back to the days when I was, well, I still was in a relationship but with someone else. So... Interesting. I never had a MySpace page. It's probably a good thing, because before that was Friendster, and then they had AIM, which was like AOL's instant messaging, and people used to always go on there and use that. But then Facebook came, and that was all the new rave. Now everyone uses Instagram, which Facebook owns. So, Yeah, actual Facebook. When my kids said, no, Daddy, no one gets on Facebook. That's for parents. I went, woof, that is not good. Has anybody ever won two? I, my knowledge of the platinum gold glove, because it's it's platinum gold glove is relatively new. Do we have any back to back winners of the platinum gold glove ever since they started giving it out? And when when was the first year? Well, it looks like this goes back to 2011. Uh, the, that year, Yachty and Adrian Beltre. Then 2012, Yachty and Adrian Beltre. So it's happened once. 2013, uh, Angelton Simmons and Manny Machado. That was when Simmons was with the Braves, so he's in the NL. Then 2014, you had Yachty again and Alex Gordon. Yachty again in 2015. So Yachty's done it twice. He's so won- it's done three times. But Yachty, but Yachty, yeah, Yachty's won it four times total already. Kiermaier won it that year. I'm talking about back-to-back. Uh, 2016 was Rizzo and Lindor, and then Arenado and Byron Buxton. 
Arenado's done it because he won it in 2018 with Chapman last year. So they do one of each league. One so that's L. four times a guy has gone back-to-back. Could happen again this year. Arenado could be the first guy to win it three in a row. We could have history on Friday. And Matt Chapman could be the fifth guy in the history of baseball to win the platinum gold glove in back-to-back years. I voted for him, but in the NL, I did not vote for Arenado. Who did you vote for? I voted for Lorenzo Cain because I think he deserves it. The guy just won his You're first. See, you know what? That's a hot take. It's not a hot take. That's, That's a hot take. Arenado, he wins it every year. He is that good, but. You don't want him to win every year? I mean, you got to let someone else win. I mean, I already know how good he is. Like, the people who don't know how good Lorenzo Cain is, like, this is a chance to see How, how... do you not know how good Lorenzo you, you basically don't watch baseball if you don't know how good Lorenzo Cain is. I don't know how many people are saying to watch baseball in Milwaukee. I mean, we know who he is. We knew who Chris Yelich is. He played but... in the World Series in two straight years. Yeah, that's true. He did. And, he, and he's he... been in the All-Star game. Yeah. I just still can't believe, like, when I knew that I, – I knew he didn't have any gold gloves. When he... Everyone's like, yeah, he just won his first one. I'm like, What? Like, finally, they recognize him for being a good defensive player. Eno Saris from The Athletic will join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. I'm going to be real honest with you. Yes. I do care about baseball. But when we bring Eno on, it's also about beer. Also, America's pastime. And we're heading into the fall. And from the fall into winter into Christmas, beer starts to change. Then what you do in the spring and the hot summer. So we always like to to get, because he's a beer expert, along with a baseball expert. So we'll talk to Eno about how he transitions from summertime into fall into winter with the beer that he likes. So that's one thing that we always like to talk to Eno about. And we'll get into some baseball. Eno, Chris Townsend, how are you? Doing good. Can't believe the season's over. It's like I'm sitting around at night going, what do I do? <laughs> you you dream on free agents the team will sign and the trades they'll make. Well, see, that's the problem. Knowing uh, the A's, they're pretty much set. There's not a whole lot that uh, they may look at some relievers. And, and, you know, we talked to David Forst about this earlier. Okay, every public, everything is every publication, every story is coming out. You know, it's all about off-season needs, and like it's just so easy to say for the A's bullpen. I mean, just about everybody, other than maybe a couple teams, everybody needs relievers. So, like I said to David Force today, I said, "I'm taking that out. You can't pick relievers. That's too easy. If you if you had a, a number one need for the A's in the off-season, and you can't pick relievers, what would it be?" Starters. <laughs> no, I, I know that they've got some starters coming back. That, that, that AJ Puck will hopefully be able to, to pitch for a full season. Jesus Lazardo, you know, they've got some ammunition there, but they're definitely going to need to sign someone like Tanner Roark. They're going to need to sign like a veteran inning beater type 
that to fill out the rotations. I wouldn't expect them to sign a, a starter for like one and eight, one and ten, and maybe uh, go for a bullpen guy. One of the guys I just put on my list for tomorrow that I really like is Drew Pomerantz. And he struck out nearly half the guys he saw in the second half. And I, I, I could see him going for maybe two years and $15 million, two years and $12 million, something like that. Really? Bringing Pomeranz back? Yeah. I mean, as a reliever, he's throwing 94, 95. He's got an 84-mile-an-hour curveball now. The curveball looks just great out of, the, out of the pen. I think he just was miscast as a starter. What would you do at second base? You know, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I think I just mix and match. They've got some some guys. There's Jorge Mateo, Franklin Barreto. You know, they've got they've got some talent. Chad Pinder. I think they'll just mix and match. You know, position players cost a lot more. Yeah, and then uh, there's going to be some guys that are going to cost a lot this winter. It's going to be a lot of fun to see where some of these guys are going to end up. Let's talk about Marcus Simeon. Finishing at least in the top three for the American League MVP. What an accomplishment that is for him compared to where he was a few years ago where he was leading the league in airs. Have you ever seen a turnaround like this before where you go from rags to riches the way Marcus Simeon has? No, I don't. And I think on some level maybe the numbers were wrong at the beginning and at the end. I think he's a solid guy. I'm surprised a little bit by the defensive numbers this year. You know, they're so standout. I think that that's a little bit has to do with positioning, knowing where to play, you know, sort of learning learning the position as he has. So I think that some of that has to do with, you know, just the quirk of the numbers. He was never as bad as he was in the beginning, and he may not be elite as it suggests now. But I really love – and, you know, it's not just defense. Cause we, we all think about Ron Washington and the glove and all the work that he did. And, you know, that's really impressive, but it's not just defense. He's, he, you know, he improved in every facet of the game. It's like this year he had, like, the best walk rate and the best strikeout rate and some of the best power he's had. So he really just put everything together. And I think it's a testament to kind of hard work in all arenas, but also what a veteran can do to make the most of his game. Yeah, it's really like one of those years where it's a career year I mean, you have another year like that next year, my God. I mean, just the way everything he did, extra base hits, powers, the runs scored. I mean, he really did everything this year. Yeah, and a lot of it was reaction. You know, something I haven't written about yet that I've been trying to find a moment to write about. You know, he talked to me about, I said, why why is your strikeout rate going down so much? And and, and why, why are you going to the opposite field so much more? And he said, you know, over time, they started shifting me. And they started shifting me. And as a right-hander, I didn't see that at the beginning of my career. But as they started shifting me, I kind of let the ball travel a little bit and use the whole field in a reaction to that. And I think that's really what allowed him to, you know, put together different passes in the game. Because now he can pull a ball for power. You know, he can pull a home run. But he can also, you know, put the ball in play a lot more. So it's funny how that how the league kind of, uh, you know, dictated that adjustment from him yeah marcus absolutely fabulous and i don't think he'll win it but just to be in the top three definitely means something you know now that the season's over and we can look at the numbers what's your main takeaway about the baseball and what do you want to see with the baseball in 2020 
I, I just want, I want like uniformity. You know, one of the things that's so hard about analyzing the game and trying to figure out, you know, who's going to be good and what are good signings and stuff like that, the way, you know, that I do it at the athletic, you know, one of the things that makes it hard is if the playing field is changing every year, you know, if the actual equipment is changing every year. So I think, you know, there's going to be a little bit more coming out at the athletic this week about what happened with the ball in the postseason. And I think you'll see that it's just, you know, they haven't necessarily been transparent. The league hasn't been transparent with us, the fans, or the players. The players are, are often annoyed at, you know, questions about the ball and also their own questions about the ball. Why are we thinking about this? It should be a, the same ball every year. And so the transparency and the uniformity are not there. And I, I just want, I want it to be as uniform as possible year to year. Are you guys going to be coming out with that the ball was different in the postseason than the regular season? <laughs> it's a uh, it's a very particular uh, thing that that it it, it means that uh, the way that we're, the way that the findings we have basically suggest that Manfred never lied, but there's some a truth within the words that he said that people won't expect. I when is that breaking? By the way, I'm very I'm very interested. <laughs> I thought it was going to be today, but I think maybe tomorrow. Uh, I cannot wait for that because that's the thing that baseball now, now, now with everything that we have with Statcast and all the different technology we have, we can measure things we wouldn't measure before. So if you start slipping in a different baseball, you're going to be able to research. will be able to find it. Yeah, yeah. Rob Arthur at Baseball Perspectives is a lot of great work, and he just showed that there was a one in 10,000 chance that, uh, you know, that the ball was exactly the same as it was in the regular season. And we kind of just did some research, Dr. Meredith Wills. Uh, I think she's been on your show before. Uh, she's, she's gone into the lab and kind of torn them apart. So we'll have some findings on that shortly. Cannot wait. In free agency, which contract, which player are you most interested in? Hmm. I think it's Rendon. You know, Rendon was maybe one of the best college hitters of all time. <laughs> I mean, if you look at some of his college, he had one of the best college seasons of all time, at least. I mean, he had like close to 500 and just hit the ball out of the park. And so he's just basically been a professional hitter all the way through. And when they add in the fact that he actually has plus defense, I mean, there's a lot of ways that his game can kind of erode and he can still be a great hitter for you, can be a great player for you. And you just saw – he just – he has a slow heartbeat, man. I mean, he is – he does not care what the situation is. He just – he's a born hitter, you know, and, and I, I think that uh, he'll make a great signing for somebody. And he could be that guy. Bryce Harper didn't want to be that guy last year with the Dodgers where it's a shorter years but more average per year. When people say he doesn't want to play forever, he has other interests, he might finally be that guy that we've waited for who will sign a three-, four-year deal, but the average will be way more than we've ever seen before, and that could be a big change in the game of baseball, don't you think? I think so. I think it'll actually be better for players to push that number, to push the average annual value, because right now Bryce Harper, in terms of labor or whatever, Bryce Harper, he's getting paid less per year than Ryan Howard did. And, yeah, it sounds big when you say, you know, $335 million, That's a lot of money. But he's getting paid less per year than Ryan Howard did. 
So, you know, I think it would be good to kind of push that average annual value. It'll be good for the players. Um, and, you know, comparing him to Harper also is instructive because, you know, there are no question marks about what he's like in the clubhouse. You know, everybody loves Rendon. So, uh, you know, that's a, he's be, he'd be a calming influence on any team that he, he was added to. So I, I think uh, there's virtually no question marks for us. Like for Garrett Cole, I love him, but I think any pitcher that gets seven or eight years, people are talking about eight years, man, pitcher for eight years. It's just, it just seems like that's crazy, man. There's so many things that can happen in eight years. Hitters just tend to, you know, be good. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, that's a long, and, and, and as we all know, as you get deeper into your thirties, physically, you start to change as a man yeah. and, you know, I agree with you. Giving away those long contracts, for, I mean, it's just – that is such a risky move. And when I think about the offseason and when I think about how you evaluate players, what are the certain metrics? Let's start offensive. When you're going to review guys for 2019 and then you're going to preview guys for 2019, what are some metrics that you look at for our audience that they could look at that you look at for offensive players? Well, you know, I make this real simple because I think it's almost the same thing for both sides. And, you know, in terms of raw capability, I want to know exit velocity and pitch velocity. You know, I just want to know velocity. How hard can you hit it? How hard can you pitch it? Those are the things I want to know in terms of raw ability. And then on the other side, in terms of finesse and and skills, I want to know how good are you at avoiding strikeouts or for a pitcher getting strikeouts and avoiding walks or, or, you know, Basically, I want to know how good you are at strikeouts and walks. Um, and so I think those two things can tell you a lot about the shape of a person's career. Nelson Cruz, for example, has been so great into his career, late into his career. Why? Because he hits the ball really hard. I mean, just, he's got the raw out the, out the door. And on top of that, he's got a pretty good sense of what to do at the plate. That Granky has lost the pitch velocity, yeah, but he's aged really well because he has great command, and he limits the walks, and he gets strikeouts with this wide array, wide array of pitches. I don't see in Garrett Cole that same command that Greinke has. He has the pitch velocity, but that's always going to go away. So I don't see the same wide variety of pitches. Look at Hunjin Ryu, who had a great season but is old and doesn't pitch hard. That's because he has a great variety of pitches and a lot of command. So if I'm going to give someone – a long deal, I will think a little bit more about the command and how many pitches they've got. And I think what you're talking about is the Houston Astros. They hit the ball hard. They don't strike out a lot. And they hit home runs. And, you know, we got teams that hit home runs and strike out a ton. They don't strike out a ton. They hit home runs and they hit the ball hard. Yeah, yeah. And that's why they're perennially in the postseason. It didn't work out for them this year. But to me, baseball is not a zero-sum game. It's not 29 losers and one winner. You know, I, I, I reject that. For me, if you had a good season, the A's had a good season. If you keep having good seasons, eventually you'll break through. And this could really be the year for the A's because, you know, I think one of the things that's been holding them back since their first group of really great uh, players is kind of lack of frontline starting pitching. And I see it in this group. I see it in Lazardo and Puck. So if, they, if those two truly are ones and twos, you know, at the top of the, at the, top of the rotation, everything else falls into place. And that could be something that is changing because every single year it was 37%, 38%, 39 gotten up this year to 42% of all innings were pitched by bullpens, but bullpens were worn out this year. It was just too much. Are we going to start – are we going to see it start flipping back to like, 
Guys, we got to get more innings from our starters. It's just the bottom line because you see the record. If you, it's a simple, it's a simple thing. If your starter goes seven innings, the majority of the time your team wins. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you need to have at least one or two starters in your rotation that can go that far to even do the rest of the strategies you want to do with your bullpen. You cannot bullpen every day. <laughs> you can't bring your bullpen in in the fifth inning every day. You know, so you need to have some horses. And I think that's one thing that the A's have actually done pretty well is, like, get guys like Fires and Roark and get guys who can get you to the sixth inning at least. Um, and that's been great for them. But, uh, you know, what we did see this year was the ERA from the starters and the relievers was the same, and it shouldn't be. A reliever should have a lower ERA because they come in and they only, if they're a righty, they only face righties. If they're a lefty, they only face lefties for the most part. They come in for, you know, one inning and they can throw as hard as they want. The starter has to throw five or whatever inning. So, you know, they should, the starter should have a worse ERA than the relievers. And this year it was the same, suggesting that we've gone a little bit too far. Is there anything out there that can explain why year in, year out, you cannot predict how good a bullpen's going to be? Mostly it's the sample size. You know, you got to, you, you, when you're evaluating a starting pitcher, you get 200 innings, you get 200 innings, 200, 180, you know, you get a, you get a, a you know, you might get 500 innings over three years to, to look at them. You might get a reliever that has given you 120 innings over the last three years and you've got to make the same decisions about them. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, when a, when a starting pitcher loses velocity, if they have four or five pitches, they can do something about it. When a reliever loses velocity, he has one other pitch a lot of times. And all you can do is throw that other pitch more often, and eventually you get caught out. You know, somehow Sergio Romo <laughs> survived throwing 65% sliders or whatever it was, but that's not the norm. Normally, at some point, the velocity drops too much, and you're just not effective anymore. So you see this, that your, your production as a reliever is clo- more closely tied to your velocity than it is as a starter. And uh, that's and, and velocity can go up and down, even uh, not just due to aging. It can go up and down due to health. So, you know, a guy that was healthy last year, this year comes in, has some bone chips, loses a tick or two, and, and just, you know, isn't as good. So it's, it's just harder. It's harder to, to, to evaluate how good a reliever it is, and it's harder to know that he's going to be good again next year. So we're past Halloween. We're in fall. Before you know it, it's going to be Thanksgiving. I know you transition – seasons and beers where are you right now with your fall collection oh man this is one of the best seasons of the year it's fresh hop season uh fresh hop uh, fresh hop pale ales are my favorite they just uh they kind of have and this is going to sound gross and weird but they kind of almost have like a vegetable quality that i really like uh you know i know that doesn't sound great but uh, uh it's kind of a cool addition to what we normally get a lot of fruit in pale ales so uh, right now, there's a Lagunitas born yesterday that's on shelves for most people, and I would recommend going to get it. See, that's why we bring you on. I mean, we can start sitting there talking about exit velocity, and then we can talk beer. <laughs> beer and baseball go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. This year, they've even been doing some uh, hazy fresh hop, which I've never had before. Uh, I've enjoyed a couple of those. By the way, hazy is in. I, I mean, everywhere you go yeah. now, hazy is big. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that means now it's like the reliever thing. If everyone's doing a haze, they're not all good. But, uh, you know, it, it's still worth trying, especially for people who think that IPAs are too bitter. 
I think it's a great crossover beer. Some of them taste that and say, hey, you know, that's not very bitter at all. Eno, you are the best. We'll be calling. All right. Thanks for having me. Eno Saris of The Athletic. Love that guy. Could talk baseball with him all day long. Are you ready, Commander Cody, to end the show with a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. So I want to amend something that we were talking about earlier. You want to amend? So Matt Chapman was named the Defensive Player of the Year, not just Neil, just Defensive Player of the Year at third base. The winners have come out uh, of of from this, Wilson. From Wilson, yes. Yeah, Wilson's Defensive not, Players of the Year. This is a not. This is not going on the resume. No. So you got Freddie Freeman at first, Colton Wong at second, Matt Chapman at third, Angelton Simmons at short, David Peralta at left. Lorenzo Kane in center, Aaron Judge in right, Roberto Perez at catcher, Zach Greinke pitching. The defensive team of the year, the Houston Astros. Wait, who's at first? Uh, Freddie Freeman. Not Matt Olson. No. And Wilson defensive player of the year, Roberto Perez, the catcher from the Cleveland Indians. So what? what so Matt Chapman was just defensive player of the year at third base. Third base, yeah. But not defensive player of no. the year. Defensive total. player of the year, according to Wilson, was. Indians catcher Roberto Perez. How many of these guys actually wear a Wilson glove? Oh, that's a good question. Buying or selling? Uh, I'm going to sell under five. I bet a lot have a uh, contract with Wilson. So let's. That'd be my conspiracy theory. uh, I heard this earlier. I watched the video. uh, And I do believe Matt Chapman wears a Wilson glove, but I got to look it up. JT Real Muto was on with friend of the program, Chris Russo, on High Heat. He said Harper is one of the most understood players in baseball. Said he is an awesome teammate and plays hard every single night. And he's not sure why he is a villain in Major League Baseball. He said the Nats winning the World Series has nothing to do with Harper leaving, and he gets a bad rep for that. Winner, 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 chicken dinner. Buying or selling Bryce Harper. Matt Chapman wears a Wilson glove. Oh, all right. Buying or selling Bryce Harper is the most understood player in baseball. I'm going to buy. I don't think he is a villain. I don't either. I just think he's one of those guys, kind of like like a, a mini LeBron, where we've been hearing about him since high school. Like, we've heard about him since high school. And we and then, yeah, he's not he's not a guy that's known as a bad person. He's like a, he's like a religious guy. He got married early. I mean, he's not a guy that's causing trouble. It's just he's been overexposed, so I'm going to buy that. From what I've heard, people, it's, he's not a bad guy at all. No, and I'm a Harper. I'm a Harper fan. I love. I've always liked Bryce. Did I like that he went to Philadelphia? No. I mean, that's a lot of me being from Pittsburgh, not liking anything Philadelphia. But I thought that he was going to come out west, and we would see him a lot more. But I don't think he's a villain either. So 2019 is coming to a close in a few months, and it's time to look back on some things from this this decade. We saw the Astros lose 100 games three straight years, and then win 100 games three straight years. The Red Sox won two World Series, including one last year where they won over 108 games. The A's made the postseason five times, three as the wild card. The Rangers went back to back, went to back-to-back World Series. The Yankees didn't make the World Series in a decade for the first time since the 1910s. And uh, the San Francisco Giants won three World Series titles, but then lost in the wild card game in 2016 and haven't had a winning season since. So buying or selling the San Francisco Giants were the best team of this decade. Why would you ask me that? 
because I heard people debating it, so I wanted to see. Because I think it's, I don't think it's them. They won the most World Series. Yeah, but they would be the franchise. See, team, when you say team, you think of the same players. The Giants would be the team of the decades. Or I should say the franchise of the decade. They won three. Can't take that away. They won three World Series titles. I heard some people say Boston. I, I disagree with that too. I, I don't. Uh, I, I think Houston losing a hundred games three years in a row, and then winning hundred games three years in a row. They only won one World Series. Yeah, but they lost a hundred games three times three years in a row, and then they came back two yeah. years later and won hundred three in a row. What, what do we play for in this game? Uh, a World Series. And the Giants won how many? Uh, three. How many did the Astros win? One. And you're gonna say the Astros are better than them? Uh, I think so, but I, I'm biased. Well, then that's like. Then your opinion is so flawed. Then it doesn't. Your opinion doesn't matter. It's an opinion, it doesn't? Yeah, it's, it, it's flawed. Fact is, what do we play for in this game? And this is not me. It's not my opinion. No, I know. What do you play for in 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 Major League Baseball? Uh, to win the game and win a championship. What do you play for football? The Super Bowl. So if you win more Super Bowls than the other guy, you're gonna say the other guy who didn't have as many Super Bowls is better than that guy because your opinion? Uh, yeah. That's how I, that's how my logic works. That's called flaw. You're fake news. <laughs> Last one, you'll like this. The Yankees hey, are looking. You're making me stick up for the Giants. Yeah, well, that's kind of what I designed this for. The Yankees are looking for a new pitching coach. They fired Larry Rothschild last week. Aaron Boone went from the broadcast booth to manager. We've seen this happen quite a bit. And Keith Law was very up against the Mets hiring Carlos Beltran when he said, "Yeah, you know, he doesn't have any managerial experience." Uh, Alex Cora won a World Series with no managerial experience. Uh, AJ Hinch had very but little. But Alex Cora had been a bench coach. Yeah, well, Once hey, again, that's flawed. Uh, uh, and Aaron Boone was just a TV guy. Yeah, so, so this guy has a lot of playoff experience and borderline Hall of Famer, who the Yankees are looking at for their pitching coach. The other two candidates to interview were college coaches from Arkansas, Michigan. So buying or selling, David Cohn will be the next pitching coach of the New York Yankees. <laughs> he interviewed last week. Did he really? Yeah, that's what, that's what I've read. DC? Uh, you know, I love David Cohn. You kidding me? He's not coming out of that kit, cushy Yes Network gig. Uh, you never know. I mean, who thought Aaron Bo- who thought Aaron Boone was going to leave? And, oh, that's a lot know. more money. Aaron Boone wasn't making a ton of cash. I I, I could see I could see if I they- mean David Cohn David Cohn made a good amount of money in his career. Yeah, I mean, why not be a pitching coach? I mean, well, you know in what? New York. I mean, you know what the thing is? I don't know if if I don't know his situation. Like, are his kids grown? Because Cohn's got to be what fifty mid fifties. He's like mid to late fifties. I think he's so. Like, 50. like, if his kids are out of the house and he's bored and he's only because he doesn't do full time. Yes, you know what? I'm buying the great David Cohn, better postseason pitcher than Zach Greinke, will be the next pitching coach of the New York Mets. Only Yankees, not Mets. Oh, is it Yankees? Yankees. Yeah, he'll be the next pitching coach of the Yankees. I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm selling. That was just a joke. I'm selling. I don't think he'll be it. I want somebody who's actually taught pitching. Also, I'm going to sell earlier. Um, the Giants are the, the best franchise. No, no, either. you like you're you're a Luno guy. Yeah, well, do you know his brother's an editor for the Wall Street Journal? Found that out earlier. Hey, he's a smart dude. Yeah, they're both born he, in Mexico. He just doesn't know how to manage people. Yeah, not at all. All right, coming up next, we'll replay the show, and then we'll have a huge show on Friday. Does Chapman get the platinum gold glove? We will find out. A's cast live. Enjoy. We'll see you on Friday. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.